All right. I do believe we are live, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of the Break the Rules live stream, which you can find live at BreakTheRules.tv, and that is the YouTube channel. This is the first of hopefully many collaborations with Twitter Spaces and YouTube. So here we are, the people are on Twitter Spaces, and you can see their lovely faces, Catherine's and Alexandros's on the monitor right now and uh once again i want to give a big thanks to all the panelists here we have steven Steele, we have katherine brodsky we have al uh ha, ha, i, I want to not butcher the greek by the way i mean it's all greek to me just uh but... alex will do all right, Alexandros Marinos, maybe that's the right way. And we are going to be talking about whether Elon Musk and also Drew, Drew Tank's coming in in about an hour. We're going to be talking about whether Elon Musk is the real deal, is the rebel against the technocracy, or whether there's something else going on here, whether he's just another insider that's holding the carrot in front of us, dangling the carrot in front of us on the stick. But anyway, uh, that is all that I have to say right now. Let's get this conversation in there. And also, for those who who are not on YouTube and on Twitter spaces, BreakTheRules.tv. Go there right now so you could watch the video, smash that subscribe button, smash that like button, and click the bell. And that is all I got to say. And uh, let's, uh, let's go for the intro. So, Catherine, let us know why you uh, think Elon Musk is one or the other, as well as a little bit about yourself, and then uh, Alex. Sure, and I just pinned the um, the YouTube stream if, if people want to watch along uh, and see our I don't know our mugs. That's the wrong that's... link. That's the that's the link oh, I'm gonna have tomorrow. That's the oh, link I'm gonna have tomorrow. Okay, me... No, no, but this I is a great opportunity. Shortly. This is a great opportunity for advertising though, because tomorrow <laughs> I'm gonna have Curtis Yarvin. Curtis Yarvin is gonna be back along with Counterpoints. That is happening tomorrow. We're gonna talk about whether the United States should have a dictatorship or not. So be sure to tune into that. But uh, Catherine, I trust you to post the right link uh, soon. But you'll get to break the rules that TV either way. But anyway, uh, Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself while uh, Catherine is uh, working that out. No, am I coming through? Here you yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Cool. So yeah. Um, so so I guess in in relation to the question, at least I'm uh, I've been I got activated on Twitter sometime in like was it before the pandemic? Like r roughly early early or right before the pandemic. But my topic of interest was Tesla. So um, a lot of people know me for other deep dives I've done. But the earliest sort of deep dives into sort of dismantling you know, narratives from the press that I, that I have done is uh, on dismantling narratives that were sort of uh, targeted at, at Elon Musk, which is, is kind of interesting because if you read the press today or, you know, hear the pundits, um, Elon was the, the, the darling of the media until yesterday, which is, you know, completely false. Um, but so, so, so digging into all of that, I developed a set of skills that um, the people who follow me probably have seen my deep dives on, on COVID-related matters, and you might think I'm crazy or I have a point, but uh, you know what I do. Um, and and so that's sort of how uh, I, I've come to this point where, you know, the, the, the two streams of, of my activity have, have kind of uh, merged, right? Because from the, from the COVID dissident side, we're like, you know, we need free speech. This is suppression of expression, and it's, it's killing people, whatever. Um, and then sort of Elon Musk comes in, and then that whole apparatus uh, has turned to uh, attacking him. 
And I find myself in a very um, sort of good position of having a like knowing a lot of background about Elon Musk, but I noticed that a lot of people in the in the COVID distance space have no idea about. Right, so I've I've kind of followed the guy for um, I don't know a good eight years by now. Um, full disclosure: uh, after following him for a good amount of time, I. Um, uh, figured out that it's uh, he probably knows what he's doing, so I actually actually invested a uh, you know a non-trivial amount in Tesla, which became a lot less non-trivial than it was already. Um, but that's the, the the sequence of events matters, right? So I didn't invest when Tesla was high; I invested when Tesla was low because I, I it was a prediction I made, uh, and that uh, came out to be true um, to the degree that even though Tesla stock is low right now, I'm still way up. Um, but so that's kind of my 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 background uh, is that sort of you know I, I come from a Tesla space and sort of fighting the, the narratives over there and then sort of transitioned into the 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 uh, COVID sort of pandemic narrative um, doing roughly very similar things actually um, and and now I'm sort of in this weird position where the two worlds have kind of merged but nobody knows how much commonality there is between the two. You can guess my position on the question. <laughs> Well, I think it would be helpful for us to really define, you know, what it, you know, what are those words insider and outsider in the first place? Because I think uh, a lot of the answer sort of depends on that as well. Um, so maybe, Lev, I'll, I'll point that question to you. Like, what is an outsider, insider? What are your thoughts there? Sure. I think that an insider is somebody who would have enough not only relationships with people who run things in our lives, but somebody who would also not really uh, want to get in trouble with those same people by doing something that's going to disrupt a lot of their day-to-day uh, uh, -day, uh, business practices. Like there may be a certain threshold at which it's going to be okay, but then afterwards it's not. And I think what a lot of the people on the 4chans of the world are worried about is that somebody like Elon Musk, because his companies are so connected to the United States government, other governments as well, you know, China, that there's only so much that he'll be able to do until uh, you know they're going to start uh, pulling him back a little bit, even if he wants to do something. That's one view. The other view is that since he's invested so much into Neuralink, into artificial intelligence, what people are most afraid of today uh, within that sphere is that he shows up as this very, very nice guy, as this rebellion, rebellion against wokeness. But then at the end of the day, all that he really wants is to turn us into this hive mind drone species. And he was alluding to that in certain tweets talking about, uh, I don't remember the exact ones, but talking about not only things like universal basic income, but also uh, having our minds be part of this whole mesh network. And to the people who believe that there is something beyond our material reality, something like that is incredibly uh, worrisome. So those would be the two qualifications I would give for what is an uh, insider versus what is an outsider. Well, that's an excellent definition. And I know we had at least one question even before this, uh, you know, uh, space has begun or the stream has begun where, um, you know, so somebody did uh, have a concern, especially about Neuralink. And that is something that it's interesting because Elon has concerns about AI in particular. 
and yet, uh, you know, he's also going full stream with it. It's sort of, you know, in his words, it's like a way of addressing it is getting ahead of it. Uh, but kind of going back, um, you know, is he an insider or an outsider? I, I think it's almost like I would rephrase the question. I wouldn't even pose it almost as a question. I know that's that's kind of a way of, of, of having a title. But, um, you know, I, I, I think it would be more like to what extent is he an insider an insider because as you mentioned he does have these relationships and government contracts and he's you know very involved with nasa and he's very involved with you know government and he has um you know all sorts of uh, contracts um at the same time he is somebody who's a disruptor disruptor in the in, in the industry and he does seem to go against the grain in a lot of a lot of times so it's like okay it's a balance right and sometimes it it upsets a lot of people but at the same time he has to cooperate with a lot of people so what what level of sacrifice is he willing to make and what level of compromise is he willing to make to keep certain people happy? And I think it's really, in some ways, it's difficult to know for sure. And it, and and in some ways, it's like it depends on how much do you, how what what is your level of trust in his behavior and in his character? And I think people will have different opinions of, on on him in terms of his outsider or insider uh, status based on their perception of his character in some ways. Because if they think that his intentions are completely genuine, okay, like free speech, you know, he's the, the, the beacon of hope. And I, you know, I did do uh, an article for Newsweek about this where, you know, some people are just fully in love with Elon Musk and think he's come to save us and, and he's unbelievably unchaining people from and beacon of hope, uh, free speech. And other people are way more skeptical. And I, as always, I think the truth sort of lies somewhere in the middle because I do think you have to really look at, unless I talk to whistleblowers, uh, I think I'm going to be kind of a middle ground, I think, on, the, on in this forum because, um, you know, I've, I have talked to some people who are whistleblowers and I am inclined to believe some of their claims um, in terms of the experiences that they had. There are lawsuits and things like that. Um, there are things, you know, no one's perfect. And then at the same time, I do think some of the intentions are also noble and good. So, um, and and then there are actions that maybe have good intentions, but aren't maybe carried out quite right. So um, I think it's, it's, it's both, <laughs> which is a terrible answer in some ways. I don't know if Stephen, you've had some, some thoughts on that as well. Uh, well, many of my thoughts, I mean, are, are somewhat similar to yours. I mean, is Elon Musk an insider? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think just by sheer default of his monumental levels of wealth and connections, he's into, he could be described as an ultimate insider. The question is, is he our insider? Is he the people's insider? And in many ways, yes, he has, in my opinion, shown to be that. And other times, and even more recently, uh, I've, be I've become more and more skeptical of Elon. I won't. I don't say that when I when I even hear myself say that it sounds a lot more ominous than I mean it to. But I think there have been statements that he's made and opinions that he's spouted just very recently uh, that have caused my eyebrows to raise and uh, kind of slow my roll, perhaps uh, in the level of enthusiasm I have for Elon Musk. Don't get me wrong; I'm super excited that he's acquired Twitter. Uh, 
I think uh, his version of it so far is unequivocally better than Twitter 1.0. At the same time, uh, as I had the last space I had about this, there are still lots of people that are uh, shadow banned, being shadow banned every day for their opinions. A lot of people that are being censored and dethrottled. And, you know, are these matters going to be taken care of in time? I certainly hope so. And that certainly uh, could be the case. But I'm saying right now, this is still uh, this is still the reality. I mean, we've had people suspended and dethrottled for simply being opposed to supporting Ukraine and the Ukrainian-Russian conflict up as recent as, you know, less than a week ago. Prominent profiles showing that this was the case. So is this Elon's fault? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, at, I think it's probably safe to assume that there's still dissenters employed by Twitter in his ranks that are perhaps uh, working in ways that aren't necessarily in alignment with what Elon's vision for Twitter is. But it's still a problem, and it's still affecting a lot of innocent people. And then, you know, uh, today, this morning, he uh, also announced his uh, <laughs> uh, endorsement of uh, Kevin McCarthy for House Leader, and he got ratioed pretty handily there, which I think is very healthy. <laughs> We're just seeing a very interesting uh, turn of dynamics because we also saw uh, former President Trump also endorse Kevin McCarthy uh, yesterday. And so it's interesting. We see both of these guys that are normally seen as very um, populist, uh, populist voices uh, now get ratioed by uh, much of their own uh, supporters. So I think we're kind of at an interesting turning point of dynamics here. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. Well, what are your thoughts? Uh, I'd love to know the, the the people on stage. Like, I'd love to know your thoughts about just generally, like he's been very vocal about politics and, you know, like voicing his opinion about chair in his role, you know, as the CEO of Twitter, which he did to me, at least to me, it appeared that before he took over Twitter, that he did seem to at least portray it as being somewhat, you know, as him creating somewhat of a neutral ground, not one that favors one side or the other. But when a CEO, you know, does, you know, does clearly favor one side, more than another um, in his public statements, it doesn't seem such a neutral ground. Uh, so at the same time, you could argue that he's expressing his opinions and why shouldn't he be able to? But uh, I'd, I'd love to get some thoughts uh, from from the panel uh, about that. I mean, arguably, if, if the product of a company is free speech and he himself was censoring himself, that would also be a contradiction, right? Um, I think the way Elon sees his role in Twitter is as a user. He's also um, the second most followed user, and you know, give it give it a couple of weeks, he'll probably be uh, the most followed user. So he's got a lot of hats he's wearing here, and I think the way he wants to play it, and I think hiring a CEO will help there, um, is as you know, Elon is Elon, and Twitter is Twitter. Uh, and Elon builds Twitter, the, the, the platform and the product, um, hopefully with some degree of separation from the rules, you know, themselves. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think if he saw this as a, 
you know, sort of buying Twitter means that he has to personally censor his own opinions about stuff. I think that would be uh, literally a contradiction in what he was trying to do. So I think th this is the filter I would use to um, see his opinions. It's like, here we are, we're expressing our opinions and, you know, let's, let's do that. And here's, here are mine, by the way, as you can see, yeah, he's not like, you know, he said prosecute Fauci and like, I don't know who came after him and said like, Oh, you know, he's a far, far right, not just right wing. Of course uh, we've gone past that now. He's like far right. It's like, well, you know, I mean, what does, <laughs> what words mean anymore? But like, then he comes out and, um, uh, endorses McCarthy. I hadn't, I hadn't seen that. That's, that's, that's humorous. Um, there's also other tweets you can find out that says I'm a socialist. Um, you can go look for that. Um, and so I think honestly, Elon is like a hardcore sort of centrist in terms of politics. It's kind of weird to hear this. Like there's other tweets he's made. Like I trust the judiciary, for instance, like he, or I trust the FBI. Um, he is very much like in terms of politics, he's, He's very much a normie in ways I actually am kind of shocked about. But at the same time, um, having worked with engineers a lot, um, I've, some of the most brilliant people I've met uh, have had this pattern where in the field that they have dug into, they can build from the bottom up from first principles and come up with completely surprising conclusions. And then they shift to something they haven't like really thought about too much. And, um, they, they, their, their depth of knowledge is, is basically zero. Um, like I, I literally remember uh, the most brilliant engineer I've ever worked with, asked, like having basic knowledge gaps about World War II and what Hitler did. Like, <laughs> seriously, and, and, and I see this with Elon. I think what you'll see with him in politics is that he will rapidly um, sort of evolve in his um in, in his approach uh, but his starting point is going to be very very normy like it's it's not you know gonna he's not like some you know uh you know i don't know uh you know mentions mold bug or whatever he just basically his basic thing is like i want the system to work because i've got work to do with my companies and i don't want to um, I don't want to, I don't want it to be disrupted. That's like, you know, just get out of my way, do whatever you've got to do, um, so that we can keep doing the work. Like, I think that's, you know, his basic politics take. And honestly, that's why I think when you see him saying like, you know, if we don't defeat the woke mind virus, um, we're going to be, um, sort of, you know, we're going to have trouble reaching our mission for Mars. Like, I think he really means that. I think he's seeing per perhaps in his companies, perhaps in other places that there is an ideology taking hold that is, you know, distinctly opposed to the kinds of positive sum things he wants to do and anti-meritocratic, which, you know, he perceives will um, limit his own ability to accomplish his mission. So, Perhaps the best filter I use, and I, this is why I think that the question matters, by the way, the filter I use is, um, you know, just think about Elon as want, really wanting to set up a civilization on Mars and then work backwards. Like everything that's happening now, like every, even the boring company, right? Like, well, you know, if you're going to build a base on Mars, you got to be really good at digging tunnels because above above the surface is just not that great. Um, you, you can really align pretty much everything he's doing with uh, that mission. And again, this is an interpretation filter. I, I understand that most people don't share that, um, but I think it's it's like it's my cheat sheet. Let's call it. 
So one of the things that I think people don't understand about Elon, you know, he's being accused of being a right winger and he has been for a long time or like by. Oh, I don't know what happened to Nick there. And by the way, if you're going to speak, uh, make Sorry, sure to introduce. Yes, but make sure to introduce yourself as well, if possible, just so people know who you are for the people who are watching the stream and may not be familiar with you. Yes. OK, I. I don't know what's going on with Nick over here, but I heard him speaking before. I see the waveform. But uh, while Nick is sorting out whatever needs to be sorted out, I can give my own reply here. When it comes to uh, somebody like Thomas Sowell, for instance, he talked about uh, in his book Intellectuals in Society how you can have people that are super good at one thing, but then when it comes to something like politics, for instance, they're going to be completely clueless. So you have somebody like Albert Einstein, for instance, whose lover was an agent of the uh, USSR back in the day. You know, and this was somebody who was incredibly brilliant, yet when it came to such matters, uh, kind of a uh, dummy. So the thing that I'm concerned about most with Elon when it comes to being influenced by certain trends that end up going contrary to a lot of the things that are supported by the woke people. Because if you have a lot of woke people that are, let's say, supporting Ukraine, all of a sudden supporting Ukraine is seen as being something uh, not that great in the eyes of a lot of the more anti-establishment people. And those would be people both from the left and from the right. What unites them together is that they are against the status quo. And if the status quo is for uh, giving arms to Ukraine, then they're going to be against that. So that's one thing that I would watch out for when it comes to how somebody like Elon Musk is going to be influenced in the uh, in the years to come. The other thing, though, has to do, and I would really, from an engineering perspective, uh, be interested to hear uh, Alex's uh, reply to this, how the fears that people have of him creating this, you know, even though he talks about wanting to prevent it, inadvertently ended up ending up creating a technocratic system where everybody's going to be tracked where they're going to have these electric cars that are going to be able to be disabled by any kind of three-letter agency if the person uh, uh says the wrong pronoun to whoever you know like that is the that is the existential fear that a lot of people have so i know these are two separate things that i'm throwing in here but uh alex let me know whichever one you want to tackle um i think i can tackle the first one quickly and move on to the second one um but the so, so for the uh, for, for the question of like whether he's going to be influenced by this or that i again his take is normalcy right that's why he proposed the peace plan for ukraine and he got like pummeled i mean fucking Zelensky came in to say that you know he's an idiot or whatever um, he, I think Zelensky was right there. If you think there, about anyway. it from the point of view of like we want stability because we got work to do, that makes perfect sense. So it's not like he's just like taking the vibe and like kind of going with it. He's got somewhere he wants to go, and uh, you know his sort of uh, takes I think are very often very influenced by. Um, he's like, well, you know, nuclear war bad, right? So maybe let's not do that. Like that's generally his 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 take. So I. I but again, I, I wouldn't then take that and say, like, then he's going to moderate on Twitter on that basis. Um, I mean, I hope he moderates on the nuclear war bad basis, but uh, <laughs> I don't mean like pro-Ukraine or anti-Ukraine uh, or whatever. Um, but I think if you want to predict his personal opinions, it's, you know, whatever will, you know, help uh, in his mission, because that's that's really what he what he lives for. Um, so I, I'm not that worried that he'll be influenced or whatever. He's got a model. Um, and I think what I would focus on is the directionality, right? Like, um, yes, Einstein might, might have been a, you know, what I would do, but like, I, I'm, I'm not looking for Elon to stay a dupe for a long time. I'm, I'm looking for Elon to evolve. Uh, and he's doing that pretty quickly. I mean, we've, we've all seen it, even with something as simple as vaccines, 
He's gone from uh, you know. Oh, careful! careful. We're on YouTube. We're on YouTube. So just uh, YouTube is still not that friendly towards that uh, conversation. Okay. Just FYI. All right. Factually speaking, Elon's position has shifted. Um, in in this case, it's I think alongside the mainstream, to be honest. Um, but yeah. So you know, I, I I see him having a low resolution model, not necessarily being um, easily influenceable. I think these two things are are both errors, but they're different. Are you sure? Well, that's interesting that you say that you don't see him as being easily influenceable because I'm not entirely sure from just from observation that that is necessarily the case. He he does seem to be I mean, he might have certain things that he's completely, you know, are part of his core vision. And, and those things are probably not easily movable or influenceable. But certain things I think he does sort of seem flexible on which isn't entirely a criticism or entirely bad because being flexible isn't always like a bad thing because you, it's sort of the ability to change one's mind but if he sort of surrounds himself with only one uh, type of voice because right now he feels more comfortable around that particular group or that kind of influence then that could have uh, a stronger sway and and it seems to me from observation that that has been sort of happening and even with some of his tweets around uh, okay like ukraine for example uh and the peace thing i mean that was a tweet that sort of because of the view that i have right i do have my own bias in that particular position uh it it you know it did was not something i was happy about but um but here's the thing i mean while i i certainly support his freedom of speech in that way he's allowed you know because i don't support in sort of moderating you know just somebody deciding what somebody should say but there is a certain responsibility that one should have when you know especially when one has a lot of reach to really be knowledgeable and thoughtful about one's words so while i don't think that you know somebody should be censored or their words should be you know moderated let's say um that self kind of moderation is a different thing right H having some thought and doing some research that's a different scenario what are your thoughts on that uh, I mean, we probably it will be interesting to debate Ukraine at some point. Uh, we, we probably differ, but I don't. I don't. I think if we talked about it enough, we wouldn't that much. Um, but look, the 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 plan that Elon put in that tweet, right? It was a is a tweet level form of the same plan that Kissinger wrote about. And you know, you can't say. I mean, you might like the guy or not, but like you can't say he doesn't know what he's talking about or hasn't studied uh, international relations. And it's very similar to. Um, honestly, the plan that um, Ukraine and Russia got very close to agreeing on in Istanbul uh, a few months earlier. So it's, you know, I don't I don't think it was as, um, you know, I saw uh, somebody at Vox say like, oh, it was a harebrained plan without like feeling the need to even like reference it. But honestly, outside the, the sort of the current thing bubble, um, that kind of an idea is what is floating around. And uh, I wouldn't even be surprised if I if you saw something like that be the endpoint in uh, Ukraine. So, you know, here's, I don't, here's I don't the think that, was, by the that way. was a low information take, to be completely <laughs> honest. But I don't even think that matters because, as you said, like, I, I think Elon very specifically is against that other point of, like, he shouldn't say that much because his 
opinions are influencing people. I think that view of people that they are receptacles for takes that get, you know, pushed around um, is something that, I mean, you know, when, when we take it to its logical conclusion, we see the whole censorship, censorship apparatus that we saw. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's really repressive if you, if you think about it from, from his point of view, right? Like, uh, and, and this is why he doesn't, I think he doesn't, be, he doesn't sort of believe that that forces him to um, censor himself. And I think that's why you see, like, look at the Twitter account of, of like, somebody on, on his sort of socioeconomic, like, you know, stratum, right? Like, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, uh, I don't know. They're all, like, canned products that, like, look like not people. And Elon's feed looks like mine. Like, you know? So I think he's committed to, like, just saying what he feels like and that that is fundamental. Um, and that if he was to be sort of restrained in that regard, that that would be that would make him fundamentally a you know a less uh, competent person at what he does. I mean, let me give you another example, which I thought was telling. Um, so you know, while you know the world is kind of attacking him, and you've got like you know the New York Times and Whitney Webb all agreeing that he's a you know he's not to be trusted, which is I find very uh, humorous. Um, You've got the Tesla shareholders on the other side, right? Like who are up in arms. They're like, dude, shut the fuck up, get back to work. What is the Twitter business? We're losing money, right? Like they're, they're all right. So he was in a Twitter space with them. Um, I believe uh, Warren Redlick on YouTube has a, a video where he covers that space. Um, and at some point it was point blank. Like they were like, dude, just like you don't need to say everything you think about. Like, you know, it's affecting the share price. And Elon just responded super quickly. He's like, I'm not going to moderate my takes to help the share price. He just said that outright. And I think that expresses how he feels that primarily it's his ability to be, to express himself and be creative. That is like his first um, priority. And, you know, just because he's been successful at doing that shouldn't mean that he, get, he has to stop doing it. You know, like it's, it's, it's a bit of a contradiction that um, it's being put on him. And I, and I definitely like, you know, he doesn't want to be, you know, a Jeff Bezos or a Bill Gates. He wants to be, himself and and i think it's very unfair if you know we're like well you're you know you've been so successful at following your gut so can you please not do that anymore or you know something along those lines there yeah, is I mean, I, yeah go ahead, oh, go ahead love. well there is uh, something you mentioned which is the current thing which itself is a very mimetic uh, phrase that's been going around so i don't know how much you consider human beings to be tubes that have information going through them as far as having mem memetics become a part of their identity and then some other memetic thing goes in and that's who they are. Like, how much do you think a human being is that versus somebody who ends up being very, very um, excruciatingly considerate of every single memetic influence that goes in their head? Uh, I believe it's a bit of both, but regarding a lot of these mimetic effects, I think that generally people in any kind of group, I mean, this is kind of Curtis Yarvin's uh, argument about the cathedral, if you're going to be in a group where people share the same idea, it's going to be that much harder for you to all of a sudden switch sides on, for example, Ukraine. Like, there are people who I spoke with who are much further on the right and people who are more uh, Trumpian, and uh, they understand where I'm coming from with my Ukraine takes, but it's not really something that they even get to express to anybody within their circle because their circle is going to exclude them for thinking something contrary. I'm not sure if it's possible for somebody like Elon Musk to 
toe the line between those two circles, which is why I'm not sure what exactly we're going to see. Maybe it is possible, but you got to admit how hard it is. If you go into a certain circle, everybody expects you to have a particular opinion. But like you said before, you know, he's had a variety of, of different ones, so maybe he will be able to withstand that. I think the, the model to apply here is one that Elon talks about a lot, which is reasoning by analogy and reasoning by first principles, right? Like, um, I think people can do both. And if you're, you know, if you're being quick and dirty at something, you can copy paste somebody else's uh, takes or like slightly modify or whatever. Like that's kind of reasoning by analogy, right? Like, well, in these kinds of cases, these kinds of things happen. So this is kind of like another one of those. So maybe we apply that uh, analogy here and this is how we go. And I think, you know, that's, kind of a quick and dirty way that people tend to reason. Um, and I, I think Elon is a master of the other one, like the first principles thinking. That's why, I mean, think about it, right? Like if we take that idea, then Elon five years ago has been uh, surrounded by, you know, green enthusiasts and like sustainability. Uh, you know, all of his money is in like in green energy and, um, you know, batteries, uh, you know, solar. Um, the, the last thing he wants is to be coming out and saying like, you know, take the red pill or whatever he was tweeting. Like you, it, 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 his behavior is not explainable based on that filter. And I think people can 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 adopt both modes. I think um, it, you're more conscious when you're adopting a first principles approach, and I think Elon is uh, the grandmaster of that. So I, I have like you know when he came out right uh, even like a long time ago and said like you know we've got to do a full flow uh, stage combustion engine for um, for for SpaceX, and you know his team was like this has never been done before, and he's like yeah. That's what we got to do. Or, you know, he's like, we've got to open up this massive uh, battery factory in Nevada because we're going to need that many batteries if we we're successful. And everybody thought it was crazy. I mean, the, the number of times he has said something or done something uh, and, and people were like, you know, you're insane is too, too many to count. Uh, so I, 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 yeah, I think the filter of like, oh, he's just going to like uh, parrot uh, what the people around him say um, just doesn't, doesn't bear out. Um, and I, I, and I think it'll, like if you use that to predict his next take, I think you'll be you'll be surprised. I will say though, when it comes to, for example, the green energy, I mean, he did ride the wave, uh, and uh, I mean, I, I know he sacrificed a lot, put a lot into it, but at the same time, um, he did play the game to a certain extent because you know. Uh, it's not the cleanest energy. I mean, with batteries, there's a lot of issues around it. And it's not necessarily something that he did talk about. So does that sort of speak to his uh, integrity? Does that allow us to sort of challenge that in some ways? And he does seem to be a little bit more critical about it now, which I find interesting. But, um, you critical know. Critical of what? Uh, well, for example. Uh, Are you I referring mean, to lithium battery mining? And things yeah, like that? yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. So is that something, you know, I, I, what are your um, thoughts? So, so um, I, I think even the framing you used is one that's been used to attack him and is not. Uh, I mean, if we get down to it, I don't know exactly what you're referring to. I'm, so I'm having to fill in the blanks a little bit. Um, but I think uh, once we get down to it, you'll realize it's, it's not as it's been uh, presented. For instance, uh, the number one attack on... Um, uh, battery on, on, on lithium batteries is the cobalt, right? I mean, you, must, you must have heard about cobalt and about uh, sort of mining in the um, uh, in, in Congo and you know little children, you know that you know that whole sort of story about how bad cobalt is. Um, here's a few things you probably don't know about cobalt. First of all, it's needed for oil refining. 
right? So it's not like it's either we have a cobalt economy or we don't. It's the same either way. Secondly, uh, half of Tesla's cars today do not use cobalt for their batteries because they have adopted a new chemistry, um, which is called LFP, that does not actually require cobalt. And, and nobody else is doing that because their cars are not, not efficient enough to be able to do that. And even the ones that do use cobalt, they use the lowest amount in, in the industry. And they have been researching for a long time how to... Uh, sort of deal with that. And even the cobalt that do use is bought from Canada. So, um, you know, you can sort of, it, it's very easy to say like, well, you know, oh, yeah, well, you know, batteries are dirty and, you know, cobalt's terrible. But ultimately, you know, when you dig into exactly how they, how he has approached that question, uh, you realize that he's, you know, decades ahead of everybody else. And then you're like, okay, well, you know, and, and, and that sort of transfers to a lot of other things. And he's uh, done a lot of thinking about, I don't think he cares about, like, I think he, he said a lot about lithium itself being ubiquitous. I, they have presented a, uh, a technology a couple of years back, maybe more than a couple of years back now, um, about sort of doing a much more environmentally friendly uh, extraction of lithium um, from, from currently sort of undeveloped, um, research, uh, sort of deposits. Um, so, you know, they're, they're always looking to make things better. Um, and honestly, I think the whole uh, meme around, uh, electric cars are like worse for the environment or whatever it is that they say, um, are, are themselves, if you, if you dig it down and say like, okay, which report did that come from? Which uh, think tank was that report from? Who funds that think tank? Inevitably, you'll find the oil industry or the car industry behind those. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I don't, I, I, and, and one more thing actually about Elon and the whole green thing. If you go back and see what he has said about it, he's always talking about sustainability, right? Which I don't think anybody questions. He's like, he's like, look, if we are not sustainable, we're not sustainable, and that's bad. That's his his basic take about uh, this kind of technology. That sustainability is kind of something we 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 really can't do without. So we should, uh, you know, <laughs> make sure to be sustainable. He doesn't talk too much about climate change. Uh, he doesn't talk too much about like CO2 being, you know, this terrible thing that will kill us all immediately. He's like, we don't know. It's hard to know. You know, models are models. But, you know, I, I don't like the eventuality. He's invested in um, carbon removal. Um, but he hasn't rang the alarm bell as, you know, uh, you might think, and uh, anyway, we can we can go into the details, but I think yeah. it's very very important for these things to actually find what is the exact claim, um, as I like to do in general, and figure out what is really really the there there. Because in in narrative terms, it's very easy, and it's been done. You know, I don't, I'm not saying you're doing that. I'm saying like no, this is just how it's done. And I'm glad we're talking about it because, I, and I just want to clarify something about my approach is that uh, sometimes I do like to be a little contrary or because if I'm kind of thinking that way some other a lot of other people are and so I think oh, often sure. we don't have the space to like have the back and forth right because often you have this situation where people are sort of you know they make the claim and then you know somebody and then you have your conversation separately with other people so there's no like back and forth and I think it's important that we have that back and forth um, I also just want wanted to mention so we'll have more speakers kind of come up uh, eventually like ask their questions or make a, a brief comment so we'll bring people up so if you have your hand up and I know we have some hands up so we'll we'll keep you uh, you know keep that up and we'll we'll definitely get to you 
soon. Um, also, maybe we'll go through some of the, maybe we'll have Stephen, because you have such a beautiful voice uh, and mannerism. <laughs> I'm sucking up to Stephen. Uh, but we have some interesting comments uh, left, so that might be interesting to get like a little bit of a, uh, a read through some of the audiences. Um, and uh, I don't know if, Nick, uh, I know we've had some, I know you have some thoughts. Um, uh, yeah, he's gone from the uh, uh, StreamYard thing. He's going to be back there. No worry about that at all. But uh, one other thing, two other things. Uh, I see Maida Ronan is in the chat. I don't know if Maida Ronan wants to speak, but Maida Ronan is one of the great Break the Rules patrons. And if you are a Break the Rules patron, you get to speak uh, 100%. So if you become a patron, patreon.com slash break the rules, then uh, show me the proof and you can speak and that will be great. But uh, also Drew, for those who are fans of Drew Tang, he is going to be coming in. He's coming in a little bit later at around 6.15 or so. So look out for Drew. That's the only thing that I want to say. Catherine, uh, go ahead. If, uh, sorry, in, in the meantime, if any host can um, offer a, um, a speaking um, uh, token to um, the, our, 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 the true president, uh, Dr. Rollergator, I'd, uh, I'd definitely vouch for him. I would yes, I just uh, inviting him up. He's one of my favorite uh, accounts. I, I mean, I would love to. I have so many questions for him, but they're not even relevant. But. Yeah, well, I've invited him up, our, our true president of the universe. Mm. And, and Alex, are you coming back into StreamYard because your camera's not here anymore? Yeah, yeah, I've um, had a technical difficulty. I'll, um, right, I'll be no back as soon as uh, technology allows. And the scary thing is now all I see is my, my face doubled up, which I don't like. It's a little bit disturbing. Um, and also, when you do come up uh, as a speaker, if you could just because we're both streaming it on uh, YouTube and we are on Spaces, if you could just introduce yourself very, very briefly and, you know, and then let us know what your question is or your comment and just, uh, you know, keep it brief and cool and awesome and interesting. Thank you. Okay, Thank well, you. I'll jump in with a brief uh, a brief thing here then. So the topic is Elon Musk insider or outsider. Uh, a lot of the people, you know, are, are say, especially after today, the Kevin McCarthy thing, you probably addressed it before I came in. Um, there is one thing uh, that really sticks out is the point that so many media outlets this year have characterized him as a right winger. Um, but it seems like the spectrum, even over the course of the past two years, has moved pretty far left while he's kind of stayed put. That seems to be um, uh, realistic to me. But he's also mentioned that himself. So why he's being attacked now all of a sudden you know, does it have to do with the fact that his views have changed or is he right where he was before, but the spectrum has changed? That's a really good point. And one that I've talked about pretty extensively on and off. And I appreciate you bringing it up. And um, I came and I come from a similar trajectory in that regard, where many of the main, my, many of the main values that uh, I've espoused throughout the years and I'm, I'm Gen X. And so, uh, you know, I was in the streets protesting the, the Bush Cheney regime and uh, their wars and and the neoconservative agenda and always been a, <laughs> a big enthusiast of free speech. Well, um, many of those same things that I've continued to talk about uh, now have aligned me with more populist, the populist right wing. And that's fine. I don't really care whatever labels people want to put on it. But, um, you know, I think, you know, Elon Musk has experienced the, the brunt 
uh, of that trajectory. Um, and I think we've seen him express uh, some rebellion and pushing back against the kind of the wokest takeover of large factions of the Democratic Party and the, and the left. And I think uh, he's entitled to do that. I think it's healthy. And I'm not always going to agree with Elon Musk, although I'm overall, I would characterize myself a supporter. But I also want to keep my critical thinking skills sharp in the event that he does take a, tra a trajectory that I, uh, I, I don't see as necessarily good. But so far, so good overall. Uh, and I do think, uh, yeah, I think Elon Musk, it seems to me, he's strikes me as uh, uh, more of an old school Democrat. And it's just the, the, the political uh, landscape has changed so radically in American politics over the last 10 years that it's uh, caused him to have different alliances by default. Well, before oh, before that... Nick responds, by the way, Nick, I noticed that there is a sound coming from your um, audio of somebody making fire, and I want to make sure that the fire is already either made or it's put out. But that's that's all I got to say there. That's kind of funny. I removed my uh, my headphones for right now. Is that better? Much better. Yes. Oh no! Now I hear my echo. That's the other problem. But what are you gonna do? Oh God. Um, I'll, I'll get new headphones here in a second. But um, but you know how I wanted to to respond to Stephen's point is that Joe, he, he actually, Elon Musk supported Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton in the uh, previous two presidential uh, elections, right? Uh, they, they sold themselves at the time as moderate Democrats, right? Especially Joe Biden. That was supposed to be Joe Biden's big, uh, big shtick, right, after the primaries. He was supposed to be more of a moderate Democrat so that he wouldn't scare people off. Um, however, that did not end up being the case once he was actually elected president, uh, which would also kind of go back to uh, show as, as some sort of evidence for that spectrum moving and Elon not. Yeah, I think uh, that's a salient point to raise. And Joe Biden certainly did uh, bill himself and sell himself as the like the, the sensible voice uh, still carrying on in the Democratic Party. And I think that's uh, what uh, endeared a lot of voters that he probably wouldn't have received um, if, if he didn't bill himself as that. And since then, in my opinion, we've learned, well, it didn't come as a surprise to me anyway, but um, he's pretty much just kind of been uh, uh, kind of just the voice box for, for where the Democratic Party is now. He's just pretty much been the, the catalyst puppeteer for or puppet for whatever uh, the current sentiments are for the Democratic Party now. So he hasn't really been all that effective in that regard, in, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. What do you say, Alex? Um, can I maybe reframe this a little bit? So I put up a thread that I did um, in October 21. So um, whatever. This is like a year and a half now or close to um, – of Elon Musk versus Bill Gates, and uh, the way I've been parsing the spectrum, uh, as we call it, is is different because I've not, you know, left and right has not been making sense to me for a while, and the the spectrum I use is going to be very idiosyncratic. I don't think anybody else like sees it this way, but let me sort of pitch it to you uh, as a you know as an idea and see what uh, everybody thinks. Uh, so the the way I sort of um, separate, let's call it, uh, people is whether they are for enablement of humans, right? Like, do we want to give people more capabilities or whether they are for control? Like, do we want to sort of, you know, put them 
in a box where you know virtual hopefully um and uh, you know make sure that they can't sort of exceed that sort of allotment of space right um and you will like this is a very consistent um pattern you know where people like gates are very much about like you know there's only so much and there's only so many of us and um you know we all got to live with what we have so you know you, you kind of have to have less and uh, you know, uh, eat the bugs and, you know, that, that whole thing. And I'm not saying that some of the more exaggerated versions of that take, but um, there's definitely an element of, like, you know, there's not enough for all of us or something like that. Whereas Elon's take is always, like, so that's kind of the zero-sum uh, part of the, like, thinking that leads you to want to control what people do, because if it's out of control, then, you know, we're going to run out or whatever. And I think Elon is fundamentally different from that, uh, and he's all about enablement, and therefore he's all about positive sum, right? He's all about like ex let's expand. I mean, this idea of like you know going and and uh, inhabiting another planet is the ultimate expression of that. But I think it, um, it his sort of mindset is similar in many other spaces, which is about you know let's you know enable people to do things so that they can create. Um, what the you know what what is needed uh, essentially, and that having a fundamental faith in humanity to do the right thing after you know probably after trying all the wrong things, but nevertheless that that is the only uh, the only way forward. And in that regard, I think you know Elon hasn't moved at all. It's just that the left and the right, um, when they are um, down, let's call it, um, tend to become uh, use the language of enablement a lot, right? Like when you talk about free speech, right? Um, when the when the right had sort of cultural dominance, the left would be like, hey, let us speak, you know, let us say what we need, you know, why are you getting in the way? When they get cultural dominance, um, you know, then, you know, the right is, is saying the same things, but it's it, it, fundamentally, their their foundation is not in enablement, it's they, they're kind of like waxing and waning depending on where the, where, where the power lies at any uh, given moment, but I think, you know, this classical liberal call it that or you know um old school democrat whatever you want to call it there's there is a tribe and uh, honestly among the population it might even be the majority um who is who doesn't who doesn't like that fundamentally right and and i think that's where elon is and again i think that filter will give you a much better understanding of where he's going to fall than to say like oh he was left wing and now he's right wing uh or something like that do you think that Oh. Yeah, we hear oh, go you. Go ahead, Catherine. What? Yeah, we hear you. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if I was having issues. Uh, you guys were just listening very politely. Um, no, you're do you good. Think, do you think that with the, um, you know, because some people certainly see him as having sort of switched sides, quote unquote, uh, that it would cause the the Twitter ecosystem to sort of shift over to to a different kind of uh, discourse where, you know, I I think there was a uh, one of the accounts I forget the name uh, I think it's called the Rabbit Hole I think that's the name of the account but he he released some data today and it just showed that the major ten percent of the accounts really account for most of the tweets. And that it was something like a 70% breakdown, something like that, um, was Democrat, more than 70% were left-leaning. Um, and it seems like I would be really interested in what that number is today, because I imagine it has shifted. What are your thoughts on that? I think this is a classic power law, and I think you'll see that in any social network. I don't think it relies on Elon um, at all. I think you always have, you know, um, 
the you know the ten percent temper like you know ten percent doing ninety percent of the tweeting or whatever that's just I mean uh, I think Elon and again right like this is also where product can help so Elon uh, made a point of adding the view count and I think the view count is actually intended to encourage somebody who might tweet something right and they think that nobody saw it because you know they only got two likes but they maybe got you know three hundred views so you know. There, he's like, you know, don't don't give up. And here's the, you know, the the thing that really matters, or I guess maybe there's a different way to to see it. Um, so you know, where whether his political uh, look, what I do know is that uh, spaces went from you know this dead thing to a very bustling you know space of conversation in my feed at least. I don't know if this is reflected by others, but. You know, anecdotally, I've I've seen others uh, confirm this, um, and I think Twitter itself is becoming a lot more healthy. But that's subjective. I can I can see how you know others might disagree. But in terms of the you know the the fact that the there's a few accounts making most of the tweets, I think that's always uh, always the case in any social any social. Oh, the figures it was uh, top ten percent of Twitters create ninety two percent of all U.S. Uh, of all tweets from U.S. users, and then sixty nine percent lean Democrat and 26% lean Republicans, which Republican, which is honestly, I, I was quite surprised by that number. I thought it would be a little bit more even of a number. So that well, was, it's still the 80, 20 rule. Keep in mind the 80, 20 rule works for uh, a lot of different things. Uh Oh, I don't know what happened to my thing here. I'm going to go right back and uh, hope you guys are enjoying this stream. I don't know why I got kicked out of the uh, thing that I was hosting. So I'm going to go right back in there. It's okay. Everything's all right. Listen, while you're all here, make sure, this is very important, make sure that you subscribe to Break the Rules, that you join the Patreon. I don't need to tell you that, guys, this, you know what I'm talking about. But here, I'm back. I'm back in the house. Everything is fine. Everything's all right. Any twenty rule is, is what I referred to before as a power law. It's 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 basically in many many systems you have this thing where, you know, eighty percent of a project takes twenty percent of the time. The last twenty percent of the project takes eighty percent of the time, um, or you know, very other other things like you know, twenty percent of the Twitter tweeters do eighty percent of the tweeting. In this case, it's ninety ten. And, and and it's not really you know that you know eighty is like the word of God or whatever. The point is. You have a, a minority doing the majority of the of the work or the noise or whatever, um, and yeah, no, but th that that is a a pattern you see in in nature, right? Like I don't know if you went to bonobos, I'm sure like twenty percent of the males get eighty percent of the females or something. Like it's just it's just how it goes, right? It, 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 it's how it goes when you don't suppress things, right? When you don't force things. Um, and honestly, hearing that um, sort of party breakdown makes me think that, um, I mean, I, I kind of knew that before, but this is kind of lends some data to it, um, which is that Twitter's prior moderation approach was um, counterproductive for its commercial uh, objectives, right? Because when you are kind of obviously known as a um, uh, sort of partisan platform, which Twitter was, um, you're gonna turn off an entire part of the demographic um, or you're going to just ban them, right? Like when you when you ban all the people that want to follow, well, they're not going to be there as much or they're not going to be as active. Uh, so I think, you know, a little bit of rebalancing is, is probably uh, a good move commercially as well. In yeah. fact, if, if I may um, sort of 
take a slight, like give give you a slightly different perspective. I've been thinking about recently. I don't think I've written this anywhere, but in a way, I, I have written that I think what Elon has done with Twitter is arbitrage wokeness, right? Wokeness came in and had basically turned this very valuable product, which is Twitter, into a thing that was hobbled. Like it wasn't meeting its potential because it was sort of uh, overcome with like trying to satisfy certain you know masters and whatever, and and not really focusing on becoming the best uh, platform it could it could be. But but Elon does this a lot. Like he came into the electric vehicle space, and the first thing one of the first things he said is that hydrogen fuel cells are idiotic, and so are hybrids. Like Tesla never made a hybrid, never made a, hy a hydrogen fuel cell car. He chose a uh, direction and he stuck with it. And now, you know, these are the cars we have. Um, but this is, you know, with, with PayPal, he said, you know, we're going to make digital money. And, you know, that's that was an idea, I think, that wasn't sort of, he, he, he sensed that it wasn't, it was possible, but it wasn't being explored. Uh, same thing with SpaceX, right? He felt that it was time for a private company to do, uh, to take over in space and that it was possible to do a lot more with a lot less money. Right. In that case, he arbitraged the military industrial complex that was sort of getting fat off of um, the cost plus contracting. Right. They were very uh, satisfied with their, you know, cushy uh, sort of uh, contracts and weren't really looking to push things forward. I think he, he finds areas where the current groupthink is um, hobbling the, the potential of the technology and he comes in and sort of erases the groupthink and allows the technology to do what it's going to do. So, um, yeah, that, that's what I would expect from Twitter. I, I, I expect a big thing. If I could buy stock, I would. <laughs> Let me put it this way. Yeah, I think the analogies you made are, are fair ones. I'd also like to welcome uh, Drew, Drew Tang to the space. What's going on? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, sorry about being late. Just uh, just uh, landed from a, a flight. Just went back home for a sec. But, um but yeah, I'm pumped to uh, pumped to chat. I don't know uh, exactly. I was looking at the uh, the jumbotron there, and it looks like you guys have some uh, some really well researched stuff uh, regarding Elon and the the Twitter homie. Mm. Please um, have me back as speaker, by the way. Uh, I don't know if you guys could hear me or yeah, not. Yeah, what do you? Um, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm open to talk about anything. So uh, so sure. yeah. yeah Please have me back as speaker. Please have me back as speaker. We're glad you're able to make it and uh, chime in when you feel compelled. Um, I also know that the, you guys brought up some speakers here. Uh, why don't we just get to a couple of those and then we'll, we'll pivot back and just uh, make sure you keep your points uh, concise. And uh, also, if you got something to say, put the emoji hand thing in there and I'll take the requests in the order in which they are received. Okay, guys? Uh, so let's go to um, Cheryl Riley. You've been patient. Go ahead, Cheryl. Hey, everyone. Um, thanks for allowing me to speak. Hi, Steven. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Nick. Um, I see you guys all the time. I'm sure you've seen my face. Um, anyway, um, just I, um, I've, I've been in the PR business for many, many years. And just uh, speaking very uh, quickly about Elon. All right, let's try this again. So I love that Elon is just Elon. And yes, Elon does have this air about him. He always has before Twitter. Um, but with Twitter, I think what he's doing that I love so much is that he's actually, again, someone said it earlier. Um, I'm not sure who, who said it. I think it was Alexander. Um, but I agree. I think what he's doing 
it's he's really just being one of us, like just a user, which I think is great. I think anybody at the helm of anything should always have been a practitioner. So you should know the inside and out and, and what your users are actually experiencing um, before you sort of make determinations. And so I think on that level, as far as you know, him turning uh, more to the right than left, I think what he is, uh, in my opinion, I think what he's doing is just experiencing um, how we've been interacting and how it's not even the left, it's kind of just the, the, the wokeism, if you will, and I, I hate to say that, but unfortunately. All right, guys, there appears to be a bug. Let me figure out what exactly is going on here. This is why this is a bit of an experiment, throwing science against the wall, but I definitely want to get in there when Drew starts speaking. So I'm going to give a little bit of a time right now, a little bit of a timeout, just to cool down. I'm not sure why I'm still labeled as a host. There is an alternative of what I can do. I can go back in as break the rules. That's one other thing that I could possibly do here, but hopefully I won't have to do that. Let me do it again. Here we go. Yeah, so let's see if Steven can remove me. And then, Although if Steven removes me, maybe that's going to... Here, let's see what happens. And I just, you know, I've heard him speak. Of course, I don't know him personally, but to me, he's just being Elon. And he's not, you know, Elon, the Tesla owner, the, the genius. He's on Twitter as one of us. So, you know, he, he will make comments just like all of us do. And I'm sure everyone in this room can say they've made a comment and afterwards thought, ooh, wait a minute. I wanted to change that a little bit. Um, so I think he does that as well. So... I'm, I'm applauding him. I mean, he, he obviously is not, he's, he's being himself, which I love. Um, and I think it's making him much more um, personable and in, engaging with us. Like, I feel like he truly. Um, All right. Looks like this is what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to go back in here and I'm going to have to change the uh, Twitter to break the rules. And we are going to continue. So with this break, I'm going to do a couple of chat shout-outs while we're doing this. So we got Oscar Toe. We got Mark Lefebvre. We got Dr. Asuro. Hopefully, uh, we're not going to have the conversation from Drew as of yet. But anyway, I can't do the uh, shout-outs while trying to do this. So let me just get rid of the screen over here just so there's no um, extra stuff here. But anyway, listen, guys, if you have not subscribed to Break the Rules right now, I don't know what you are doing. See, this is me trying to kill two birds with one stone by being an announcer at the same time. But now let me go in here, and hopefully I can add another account. Yes, uh, add an existing account. Yeah, see, this is why I turned the screen off, so you guys can't see what's going on here. So let me just do this. Uh, let's see. All right, yeah, so just give me a little bit of time. In the future, I'm going to have two accounts in here as a uh, backup, if you will, so that I will be able to uh, do this uh, stuff with without having to retype the username and the password and all that. So yeah, so just give me a second. Everything's all right. Everything is good in the hood, so to speak. And uh, yeah, let me know what's going on here. All right. I'm going to have to uh, add in the pass. Here we go. We are almost there, gentlemen and ladies. I appreciate your patience. All right, now I'm going back in here as break the rules, and this should be this should be good. 
This should work out exactly as it should now. Here we go. I'm going back in here. Start listening. Got it. And we should be back into the sesh. Done. No, no, like if ands or buts. Right? It probably was. But it was that time when it was really kind of straggly, and I was just salty at that, at that moment because they had just messed with so many of us. And I think at that point, um, it was kind of on the, a day where Twitter... Um, and it would it would happen in tandem with Facebook and Twitter. So, yes, Stephen, I totally agree with you. And thanks again for letting me speak. Certainly. Uh, thank you, Cheryl. Always nice to hear from you. Let's go to uh, Bigfoot. What's up, Bigfoot? Hey, Stephen, what's going on? I think we've spoken before. Hey, Catherine. Um, I really just wanted to share my story and to show to people that Elon Musk is not acting in bad faith. He's not, in my opinion, controlled opposition. And my experience, I can only speak from personal experience, but uh, I was banned from the old Twitter 1.0 January of 2021 because I made a tweet that defended Kyle Rittenhouse. And the tweet in question, I said he was a hero. I said he did nothing wrong. And Twitter sent me an email saying, your account has been indefinitely suspended unless you delete this tweet. And they claimed that I violated their rules in glorifying a criminal, a terrorist, and a mass murderer. And they said that Kyle Rittenhouse was all three of these things. And they said that unless I deleted my tweet, I was gone forever from the platform. Um, for those who watched the trial, you would know that Kyle Rittenhouse is not a criminal. He committed no crimes. He wasn't convicted of a single crime. He's not a terrorist. He didn't go out to Kenosha, Wisconsin to terrorize people. He came out there to save people because there were terrorists burning the town down. The night before he arrived, a friend of his who was, I think, the son of a car dealership owner called the Car Source Parking Lot uh, had $1.2 million worth of cars burned to the ground by arsonists. And he went to the police and he said, I need help. These rioters, they're going to come back tomorrow night. And the police told the man, sorry, but we're stretched thin on resources. We have no more cops to give you. You're on your own, buddy. And that's when he they called in all the cavalry they could. And Kyle Rittenhouse said, I'm willing to come. I'm willing to risk my life to defend your property from these rioters. And uh, that's when he, he went across state lines and he was given the gun inside of Wisconsin. He did not bring the gun across state lines as the mainstream media tried to misrepresent. But the greater point here is that they tried to call him a terrorist. That was the official reason, and it matters that they call him that, because he was not that, and that's defamatory to claim that somebody's a terrorist when they're actually showing up to defend property. But also, in addition to having the AR-15, he had a fire extinguisher, which is actually why Joseph Rosenbaum attacked him, because he put out a fire uh, that, that Joseph Rosenbaum's friends had started on a car. He also had a, a first aid kit. He was rendering first aid to the rioters. How magnanimous of him. How benevolent, right? But uh, for Twitter to officially declare him a terrorist and that I glorified a terrorist, uh, that looks like a $100 million lawsuit to me. I hope somebody tells Kyle Rittenhouse that. And then the last reason was calling him a mass murderer. Again, Twitter called him a mass murderer in their official explanation to me why I was suspended from the platform. Uh, he was not a mass murderer. The three people he shot, every single one of them attacked him without provocation. The very first one, like I said a moment ago, Joseph Rosenbaum, he attacked him because Kyle Rittenhouse was putting out a fire. And he didn't want him to put out the fire because they were there to burn things to the ground. 
And so for Twitter to indefinitely suspend me based on three lies, all of them defamatory towards this innocent, young, heroic man, uh, again, I was given the option to delete the tweet, but I said, hell no, I'm going to stick to my guns, uh, no pun intended. And uh, I'm not deleting the tweet. I think Kyle Rittenhouse did nothing wrong, and I would rather be banned forever from this hellhole app than have my opinion controlled and censored. And so in December of 2022, I appealed it because I found out about Elon Musk coming back. So I was banned for almost two years, basically. So now you're back because because of the new new policy essentially is what yes, you said, I right? yes so there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of stories like that so there's definitely a new policy afoot uh although we don't necessarily uh you know know the exact phrasing or what the exact rules are yet but uh yeah the, your story seems like a very common one and it'll be interesting to see what direction it goes well thank you so much for sharing well, that well, well there's one yes. other thing Catherine. you gotta know and it really matters because i i was telling people that the na mainstream media narrative about elon musk is that everybody he's unbanning is some kind of an extremist some kind of a radical I'm not an extremist. I'm not a radical. I'm a normal guy. I just think that it's not okay to riot and loot and burn cities to the ground. Um, and so, I hear for them, you. and we have a lot of, like I said, like there's a lot of stories like that. And you know what? And some people have been banned and suspended for even way more, you know, very, very, very innocent things. And uh, so, I've, I've heard a lot of these kinds of things. So, I'm glad that there's a new policy in place, and we'll see how it works out. So. It's, thanks so much for for sharing that, and uh, uh, we'll see. If anybody's curious, I've um, I pinned, I've put in the shared into the space the um, the tweet that I probably can't repeat on YouTube. I guess um, that got me um, that got me suspended, um, and you'll see that it it very clearly says these are this is what I think. So literally, I got uh, suspended from Twitter for for thought crime. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a lot of that going on. Indeed, I want oh, to make sure that we can go to uh, Drew. Drew, he's been waiting for some time right now, and uh, he is one of the guests uh, that we had scheduled. So I want to make sure we get Drew in here. And uh, Drew, you're going to be talking about uh, what I brought up to Alex uh, before you came in about the other fear that people have of Elon Musk having less to do with uh, his um, uh, proclivities uh, that we see right now, more to do with. Uh, having to do with technocracy, having to do with, uh, I'm going to let you talk about it. Uh, you're the expert on this. So uh, let us know what you think. And also tell just us a little about yourself too. Yeah. And just before we go to Drew, just, just a little bit of housekeeping. We'll just, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth a little bit between the people who we have on stage and our special guests. And uh, I've also, just to make the stage a little bit clear, I'll, I'll just, once people are done speaking uh, who are not part of our uh plan panel i'll just plop them down to the stage so if you're back back in the audience don't take that personally it's just once everyone's done speaking you're gonna slap you slam up. them down yeah. to the stage just throw them overboard <laughs> them overboard yeah uh but really appreciate it. and if we can keep comments really focused and uh, on the topic that'd be great thank you so much and over to you drew would love to hear your thoughts awesome thanks guys um yeah uh so uh, so yeah, uh, just a little background on me. I've been um, I've been researching polit different political topics, you know, ranging into a lot of conspiracy, esoteric stuff. But I've always kept my research pretty um, 
you know, I'd like to think my brand is, is always having the receipts. So when I, you know, if I'm saying something about, you know, if I'm proposing a theory, I'll always have the, the documents to back it up. And I think specifically this, this whole Elon saga here is really a continuation of a lot of, um, Talk closer to the mic, by the way. Talk closer to the mic, because you're kind of... Okay. Uh, is it breaking up there? Um, let me see here. No, it's, uh, it's better now. Yeah, just make sure you keep it close uh, close at hand. And also, sneed those super chats. All the people who are on YouTube or all the people who are in the actual uh, Twitter space. If you go to YouTube, if you go to BreakTheRules.tv, it's one of the links uh, in the Jumbotron as well. Watch this stream on YouTube, and if you send a super chat, I'm going to address the super chat. So even if you may not get to speak in this space, if there's no time, if you send the super chat, I am going to address the super chat. Uh, anyway, that's all I got to say there. Uh, back to Drew. Okay, awesome. So, so yeah, uh, can you hear me better now? Yes. Okay, perfect. All right. So, so yeah, like I was saying, um, you know, I've been following these political topics for for a good amount of time. Um, I. I really got involved in the 2016 election. You know, I was a big, uh, ironically, a, a really big Bernie Sanders fan, which, you know, I'm a, I was a young college kid. So I was, uh, you know, uh, you know, I was inclined towards the progressive uh, side of things. But long story short, seeing the WikiLeaks and the corruption within the DNC that resulted in him getting the primary stone from him and then giving zero apologies from the, from the leadership and um, just the blatant corruption exposing the WikiLeaks and then seeing them turn that, roll that into Russiagate, and then through the Trump years. Um, and during the Trump years, I had, you know, kind of based off the same WikiLeaks communities, I had followed, you know, um, the beginnings of the Pizzagate movement, which there's, you know, a lot to go into there, which kind of rolled into... Um, QAnon, when the QAnon posts started going, which I never, you know, I was always watching closely. I wouldn't say I was, uh, you know, necessarily a, a vocal. Your audio is bad again. I don't know what you're doing with the audio if you're like moving the phone or whatever, but it's not that great again. Make sure you're somewhere where the Wi Fi is good just so that we have a good connection because right now the audio is just going downhill. Okay, gotcha. Um, let me just. I'm using my uh, I'm using my headphones here. Just yeah, take try. those headphones off. Uh, forget the headphones. I don't care if the speaker's on. I don't care if there's echo because when you speak, uh, it's, say, clear, it's clear, but it's very faint. Oh, now I'm hearing an echo. That's no good. Drew, that's okay. Well, Drew, that's um, okay. Well, um, will you sort out your audio? Drew will uh, go to someone else, but we we will definitely check back with you very Sounds shortly. Good. Uh, guys, you're listening to your man, Real Deal Steven Steele, as it relates to the Twitter spaces anyway. And you're also listening over through uh, Break the Rules on their YouTube channel simultaneously. Uh, simultaneous streaming going on here. Uh, if you haven't already retweeted the space, if we could uh, just ask you to consider that. That's the number one thing you can do to help spread these conversations out. And, uh, yeah, appreciate that in advance. Uh, let's go to uh, Suffer No Fool. What's up? Oh, hey, guys. Um, thanks for letting me speak. Um, I don't really want to talk too much about, you know, my my journey through Twitter, but I, I kind of want to talk about Elon's thinking and the things I've noticed quickly. Um, he, he made a quote back on Joe Rogan back in 2020. 
he was basically saying civilizations through the ages rose and fell. And I think globalization, we have these sort of things. Uh, there isn't enough isolation between countries and regions. If you get a mind virus, it can, can affect much of the world. And we need a viral immunity. And he was talking about this two years ago. You know, he also, he was saying things like he saw how the pandemic played out in China and it, it played out in America. It was like watching the same movie. These are his quotes. And you can see this on the Joe Rogan 1470. It's a great way to kind of get insight because Joe's, in my opinion, can't really keep up with them. But uh, <laughs> it's a great way to get an insight on how he thinks. Um, I think the reason he bought Twitter, he wants to get humanity to Mars. He doesn't look at things the way we look at things in terms of, you know, the, the next political cycle, are cars going to have chips in them? Is it going to go left wing or right wing? He sees it as, if you're familiar with futurism, um, there are these concepts of great filters. And great filters are things that keep humanity or keep any civilization from becoming spacefaring. The nuclear war is a great filter. Um, you know, any kind of disease is a great filter. It basically wipes out a civilization before you can get to space. And that keeps the civilization from going on and doing more things. So I think he saw the lack of freedom of speech, the mind virus, as a great filter. And his his idea was if I free up Twitter, um, plus he loves to use it, I don't think it was a political choice. I, I think he has his politics. Some of them are left-wing, some of them are right-wing, however you want to describe it. You know, I think what happened in his family probably impacts the way he sees the world. But... Um, you know, he's an inventor, he's a thinker, he's a, a futurist, I think. I think, you know, he's more worried about things like that. And I, I think Twitter is something he wants to make profitable. I think, you know, I've, I've been suspended under Elon's Twitter, but we need to give him time to untangle the mess that he, he bought, the crime scene. So, but he, I think if we all just take a deep breath and, and realize that he... He's never going to be uh, a political person, like a, a president. He he's an inventor. He's a he's a businessman. Well, he's probably always for. going to be left of center. So, um, you know, I, I just think, and, and quickly going back to his comment this morning, he doesn't have time to understand the intricacies of the House vote. You know, he's just looking at it as the Republicans won. Let's get this going. He doesn't understand that Kevin McCarthy is is an extension of the deep state. That you know, some of us have time to think about that all day. He doesn't. He's thinking about other things. So, just don't take everything he says as left wing or right wing. He's just a guy who's who's been hyper intelligent, and it's really hard to understand his uh, his modes of thought sometimes. But yeah, I, I think if if you kind of step back and look at him as more of a, a sci fi futurist or, or uh, somebody who did this for a specific reason for humanity, not so much for the right wing or the left wing, a lot of these things start to make sense. But anyway, I, I appreciate the time. I just kind of want to make those points because I've noticed these things through many years and I've been watching his career up to this point. Uh, I still have faith in the man. And I think, uh, you know, 
he, he's made comments about how the cloud is an extension of yourself. You know, it's an online ghost. You're still alive inside this ghost. And, you know, he's talked about how one day more of us will be in the cloud than our own body. So those are the kinds of concepts he, he grapples with, not the house folk. So if he says something about McCarthy, that doesn't mean he's an insider. It doesn't mean he's he's for the deep state if he says the FBI. Sometimes I have to go in and out of these things in order to, uh, here we go, in order to have it be displayed correctly. Cause something I gotta, about McCarthy, that doesn't mean he's an insider. It doesn't mean he's, he's for the deep state if he says the FBI is mostly good. I, I think he just doesn't think like we think. But anyway, thank you so much, Stephen. I love your content. Thank you to everybody that's here. Uh, I appreciate that we're all together and having these conversations. Now, thanks for sharing it. And I want to pivot over to uh, Alex uh, right after right after I make this point here because I'm curious to hear what he has to say on your thoughts. But I think those were pretty um, pretty fair observations overall. I I've, I never get a I've never gotten a malicious vibe from Elon, and I I think your um, your assumption that his recent uh, endorsement of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, probably is in alignment with like, hey, probably good that he's he's. I th- I think we can at least say, judging by his previous comments, that Elon is eager to just like you say, get the show on the road, get the Republicans uh, moving and working in Congress to help balance out the both uh, chambers there uh, between the Democrats, and Republicans, and uh, and it could it's probably something as simple as that. But also one thing that I think. Uh, I have observed, uh, we have observed about Elon. Uh, Please have me a speaker again, this Twitter. BTR. Uh, he seems to be um, pretty receptive to uh, people's opinions, to even things that, uh, ideas he's put forward, and he's kind of course corrected on. I think that's a, I personally think that's a strength, right? When he uh, floated out some uh, new uh, terms of service ideas on Twitter that went over like a lead balloon, well, he quickly course corrected and say, okay, we're not going to do that. Uh, what do you guys think we should do instead? Things like that. And he, we've even seen a follow-up comment uh, from his uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, tweet that uh, suggests that uh, he, he's, he's self-aware enough to know that he got ratioed pretty handily on that. And uh, I, I, I think that's fun. I think, it's, I think it shows a strength that he, he is uh, interacting to that capacity. Uh, go ahead, Alex. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I was just looking at those, and I was uh, kind of smirking. Um, it's kind of funny because, yeah, he, he like... All right, let's try this again. This is, this is what Elon Musk has to fix. He has to fix this uh, Twitter space. So here we go. Let's do it again. Oh, speaker, here we go. Now it should work. All right. Let's do it one more time. How do I want to... Jo- there we go. Uh, again, now I'm going to refer to engineering, but we have this saying, which is strong opinions weakly help, right? Um, which is you, you say what you want my, clearly, my right? You don't couch it um, in like qualifiers uh, or whatever. You put out your position. A lot of the time is just and course, like right? in its like, strong oh, yeah, form, but you don't also get married to it so that you can discard it and be like, okay, well, that didn't work. Like, let's do something else. But, you know, right now, what we have is like weak opinions strongly help. That's the kind of the. Um, and, and like in its the, the, the Twitter form, sort of vibe is like, I'm not going to say what I want to say because I might get ratioed or I might get suspended. I'm going to say something. Whoa. Okay. That was scary. I don't know what the hell was going on there. Again, this is why Twitter space tends to be a little bit weird, but don't worry. We're going to get right back in there. I'm going to go into the blue stacks and I appreciate everybody's patience with this whole 
project here. So just give me some time. I'm going to go to BlueStacks. And uh, yeah, I really want to get to Drew as soon as possible because he is going to be talking about a much, I'd say, spicier situation than the ones uh, that are currently being discussed right now. So again, thank you all the people who are watching this right now. Just uh, give me a little bit of time. I'm going right back into BlueStacks. And the one thing that I'm not a big fan of with BlueStacks is that they have all these big advertisers there. And in the beginning, they even like show pop-ups on the right. But uh, anyway, that is not a concern of mine. Here, see? Already, we're back on Twitter. Now, uh, just to stretch this out properly. I guess that's a good amount of stretch. Maybe a little bit more. And uh, let's, let's see. Break the rules. We're going to go here. We're going to go there. See, it's all good in the hood. I hope. Here we go. Let's see what happens. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, everybody. Still says connecting. Hmm. Very strange indeed. So, Elon Musk has his work cut out for him. That's all I'm going to say when it comes to figuring this out. Uh, good thing Drew is still here. I don't know why it still says connecting. I'm going to leave now. I'm going to go back in. And I'm going to go back in as a listener and see if that changes anything. There Might we go. have to do that. But um, just, yeah, just going on to uh, just I'll go straight to the Neuralink stuff. It's so Neuralink itself is is really kind of the crowning achievement of the larger movement known as transhumanism, which is essentially, you know, it's over the last century especially has, has gained a lot of popularity. And um, the main goal of it is um, an event that they refer to as a singularity where humanity basically merges with machine. Um, and what really worries me about that besides the, um, besides the obvious concerns, um, given the level of control they already have over um, technology and, you know, how that controls people's thoughts. Um, beyond that, there's a lot of, you know, this is like a, it really goes back to a, a very ancient, um, uh, ancient philosophy actually kind of talks about this, uh, the Gnostic Christians of Alexandria, that, which, you know, I'm sure uh, some of you are familiar with, but they have uh, essentially, during the Council of Nicaea, where the Roman Catholic Church was established and they decided what books would be in the Bible and what wouldn't be, and you know, kind of decided on the viewpoints and um, kind of the core of the religion, this sect was basically squeezed out. And then we found um, there were some surviving documents. They have various gospels and... Um, and various books that were kept out of the Bible. Um, but we discovered a lot of them in the 40s in the Nakamadi Library, uh, which was a group of skulls or uh, scrolls, I'm sorry, found in sealed clay canopic jars in Upper Egypt, which were most likely buried around the time of um, the Council of Nicaea and, and even more than that, the destruction of not the Library of Alexandria but the library that replaced the Library of Alexandria, um, which was later destroyed during the same era of trying to establish a single religion under the Roman Empire, 
But long story short, in this Gnostic Christianity, they have a different viewpoint of, you know, the kind of the separation between what exactly is God and what is Satan. Um, they have a, uh, the main um, antagonist is called the Demiurge, and it's a, it's the creator of the physical world. And so it's not, it's not the divine God, you know, that's part of everything type of um, idea, but it is a, without, you know, having the words to describe what an artificial intelligence is, they essentially do describe it in that way which is basically that it, you know, is all powerful in the physical realm and all knowing in the physical realm, but it lacks the divinity of humankind, where humankind has a spark of divinity as a God-given creation, um, you know, made in God's image. The Demiurge and its, um, and its underlings called archons, they are in some way artificial and, and their stated goal within these Gnostic, you know, these, again, this is, um, this is from, I believe it's around 200 AD is when we get the, um, these copies of these documents, these scrolls. And they were talking about these artificial entities trying to, their main goal being to get humanity to forget its spiritual connection to God and therefore uh, essentially their own divinity and kind of realist worldview, you know, and giving people a something to aspire to instead of a spiritual ascension in heaven. He's offering a materialistic physical ascension to the heavens through the spaceships. And then, you know, like, um, and then through Neuralink, you know, Neuralink isn't necessarily a like you know plug into the matrix type simulation thing that's not its stated goal um right now but you can see how it you know will pretty easily be moved into that um which is another version of heaven you know if you have a completely controllable digital digital reality that you're directly plugged into that you'll you know you know it's possible you could never die in there and you know uh, elon has talked about this before uploading your consciousness via Neuralink so that when you die, then you can exist. Your consciousness will live on through the AI. Also known which is, as a show called Upload. Uh, I, yeah, I, uh, I haven't seen that show, but it, it, uh, it definitely sounds, it, it, you know, it, it is a common sci-fi uh, motif. So there's, you know, like, you know, I'm sure, you know, Matrix and everything. It's, it's very similar in that regard. Yeah, I mean, can we, I would love to sort of focus us a little bit on on sort of the emerging, I guess, threats uh, that that can come up with Neuralink. I mean, there's there's a few things that, that you know, people are, I mean, there's a lot of concerns with Neuralink, right? Like, uh, there are a lot of concerns around privacy. Uh, there is, uh, I mean, uploading the brain is something that I, I personally do believe is, is at some point, probably in the near future, is going to be a possibility. So there is ethical questions. And I think a lot of times, um, technology sort of rushes, you know, we rush to create these technologies, but don't really rush to figure out these sort of ethical implications of it and, and how that's going to affect us. And I think with Neuralink, um, 
that is, you know, even though I know Elon has specifically said that the reason he's sort of investing it and is interested in it is because he, I know he's very worried about AI in particular uh, because of, uh, I know he, like a friend of mine, he, he sponsored the distribution of his film to which was warning about AI, but at the same time, he's like investing in Neuralink, which, um, you know, is highly invasive in, ter in terms of the brain. And, and if it's, you know, on the one hand, you merge that with AI and you can like learn languages instantly, you have access to resources, there's many wonderful opportunities, but on the other hand, there are many dangers. So I would love to sort of stir us a little bit in that direction, especially as we're sort of fighting in a world where there's there's so much um, control that's happening, right? There's there's this kind of uh, dichotomy of like people wanting freedom and freedom of thought and freedom of expression, mm. and then there's all these people who wanting to sort of control as well, you know, for the quote unquote greater good. And I also want to make sure yeah, in this I conversation, can... oh, real quick, Drew, um, I, I also want to make sure oh. that in this conversation that we don't go too much off the tracks as far as trying to prove any connection between Elon or Gnosticism. Like, I, I do appreciate the general framework that you put out there, it's just so people understand. I, I think it's where a great from. framework, and I think I can, I can make it work uh, so that we don't get um, out there. But I, I think, I actually think it's a great framework. So I wouldn't worry too much about us, you know, getting. Uh, too, too philosophical. I mean, we basically to 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 address the Neuralink question, we do need to get um, somewhat philosophical. So I don't I don't begrudge it that much. Sure, I'm just yeah, really can, interested can, in finding I out the concerns. I can clarify it really quickly, and and you know the obviously I went in pretty much the most you know philosophical and, and esoteric direction there, but to tie it together um, in terms of modern philosophy and psychology and how it. You know, the, the main threat I see as far as Elon, because obviously um, for anybody who's looked at my work, you know that I've uh, the main focus of my recent work has been to kind of lay out exactly why Elon is controlled opposition. And it really all goes back to um, this utopian idea of technocracy, which um, actually goes all the way back to Plato, again, kind of philosophical. But in uh, Plato describes a republic uh, basically ruled by uh, a technocracy, which is, for those of you who don't know, it's a society ruled by experts as opposed to um, a democracy where the people have input. It's basically all the power is given to the experts, although, the well, it sounds nice. The problem is who decides who is an expert and who is just, you know, uh, Bill Gates, depopulation-obsessed, trust fund baby, his grandpa worked for the Fed, his mom got him the deal with IBM that became Microsoft, but, you know, uh, side story there. But um, but anyways, technocracy, Elon Musk's grandfather, the reason this is a little known fact, the reason that he's from um, South Africa, the reason his family went to South Africa was that his grandfather was kicked out of Canada for running the technocracy party there. And can I, the can I ask about that particular thing? What yeah. does it have to do with anything? Because we're not going after people's grandfathers, right? Like, I don't know who your grandfather was and what he did, but would it matter if well, I did? Do you do you believe that there's do you believe that there's multi generational uh, oligarch it families in the United matter, States? That like are, my, that are my working grandfather towards... died in the Greek Civil War fighting against communists. But I'm like, uh, okay. so what? Uh, 
Okay. Well, let, wait, wait, hold on. Let's, um, let's put it this way. Let's let's put it this way. If there is something that can be shown to prove, like for example, let's say with George Bush Senior and George W. Bush, we know both of them attended Skull and Bones, so we know that there is some, let's say, uh, line of succession here as far as certain ideas because they ha hung out in the same groups. When you're talking about his grandfather, I just want to make sure that there is some connection that you can give, other than just saying, "Well, this is uh, his grandfather," where we can understand that okay, he may have taken something from his grandfather related to this particular idea that's all like we just need a way stronger link than just saying that this is his grandfather okay yeah so so yeah just to go to that i'm sorry if i uh, if i offended you with that with that making that no, um, connection you, you, there. like honestly your framing on bill now has been flawless so i'm, I'm kind of missed that you know we we went there but like I've, I've heard this a lot and it's not little known to me but it's like you know i i want to make sure we're not putting a frame that nobody can survive Right, like, who of us survives if uh, you know whatever? Like, we we just mm -hmm. so so I'll go I'll go ahead and and just kind of explain why I why I brought that up and and kind of the the broader framework there, um, and why I think that it it is important to um to look at uh, especially these open and that's okay. Like, I think uh, if we're gonna go, I don't know. Do you? I guess my question is like, do don't you think that this is setting up a frame that like that, a test that nobody can pass if we start digging into people's ancestors? That that's that's my that's my question really. I think the, the your prior opening was fantastic, and I'd love to uh, jump into that. I just find it extremely unfair when we're um, you know dusting up people's families. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I definitely don't want to you know attribute uh, the sins of the father to the son or whatever. But, um, you know, it, in my experience, in my research, and it looks like you're very well-researched as well, given uh, I was looking through some of your stuff um, in the Jumbotron, so I can tell you're, you're very well-read into all this. But, the, you know, there are multi-generational oligarch families in the United States, especially in, you know, around the world. It's not unique to us. But such as the Rockefellers, the Bushes, which, I mean, the Bush family is really an extension of the Rockefellers, given that Samuel P. Bush got his start at Buckeye Steel Co., which was a company run by the Rockefellers. But these groups, I see these these oligarchical um, family dynasties that, you know, for the Bushes, for instance, you know, they uh, Bush Sr. ran the CIA, became vice president, president, then his son becomes president. So I, you know, it's my belief that these families that have maintained this level of power, um, they do have multi-generational goals that they're working towards for instance the rockefellers funded the original eugenics movement in the early 1900s in the united states and in nazi germany where you know uh i believe in hitler and mein kampf specifically says that his eugenics program in in germany was based off of the U american eugenics program which um, really was, but again, I, a, I just want to make sure. Wait, wait, hold on, Drew. Drew, Drew. Admirer of Ford yeah. and the whole, the whole yeah. deal. Even though the Germans failed mostly because they couldn't do mass production properly. But anyway, long story. I, I, the thing is, like Elon's family doesn't match that because his his mother, you know, was I think a fairly normal woman in uh, yeah, South Africa when she divorced. You, uh, I mean, so so my you know opinion on the on the mother, and again, I'm I am coming from a more you know esoteric you know. Um, direction, but um, she, you know, she has done the classic one eye, you know, covering up one eye, the eye of Horus, like uh, 
symbolism in some photo shoots. She, you know, the, the way she dresses. And I believe she's, um, well, I know for, you know, that's not enough to pass the test. Like, I don't know. Like I know what you're saying and celebrities do like the eye thing. My whole thing is it has to be way, way, way more substantial than something like that. So for instance, what you said right now, real quick, real quick, mm -hmm. hold on. For instance, what you said right now about the uh, Bush family uh, working for Rockefellers, that is something that would be able to be established. Was this person employed under this particular family? That's way more than saying sins of the father. That would mean that they would be privy to whatever the Rockefellers were doing at the time. That would be way more established. I'm not seeing the same thing right now in the case of Elon and his grandfather. If you were to say that Elon was a part of this company that his grandfather was heading up or something like that, I understand. But all that I'm saying here is I want to make sure that with the time that you're here with us right now, you'd be able to provide something way, way more substantial. And if not, I would skip it and focus specifically on the things that can be very, very provable. That's all. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's not really, you know, given if your grandfather is, you know, the head of the, you know, one of the largest technocracy parties of the um, you know, Western world that is pretty significant. He's going to talk about it. His son's going to, you know, be interested in it. I'm sure it's something that he, you know, instilled in his children and not to, you know, just to make the direct connection, Elon's literally tweeted before that he wants to establish a technocracy, um, on Mars specifically, but he, he has literally used the word technocracy and, um, and, uh, and yeah, so so I mean, he is a fan of it, regardless of if if you want to well, say. Well, hold it's, on, it's before before we go on, are we in agreement with that? Words that have semantics that have shifted mm -hmm. over time, right? Like if you asked me thirty years ago, I was a fan of it too. Like what's what's wrong with putting experts in power, right? Well, you, you know, we found out the last couple of years what's wrong, and that was yeah, a terrible exactly. idea. I was okay. going to say that, yeah. Um, right. No, I, I hear you, man. Like if you, if you see my, my, uh, my, my content, um, outside of Elon, like I've, trust me, like I've, I've spent whatever, 27 Substack essays in a row explaining exactly how wrong Scott Alexander was about Ivermectin and that the whole story was that, sorry, Lev, I guess your YouTube channel is nuked now. Um, um, uh, and, and, and a lot of it is because of that sort of, you know, uh, cult of expertise. I get it. Um, but all I'm saying is that, you know, this is a party that existed in, Can in, in Quebec, like in the, in the early 20s and was banned and then was unbanned and he left in the meantime. And what did the word technocracy mean to them, right? Did it mean what it, we are concerned about today? Or, or was it a far different, like every, you know, every, you know, the, the Republicans are called Republicans because I guess they're pro-Republic or whatever, but like, that's not, <laughs> you know, words and especially of, of political parties uh, change completely uh, meaning over time. And I think we're, we're getting carried away here by um, broadcasting semantics of today into, you know, prior eras. I what also feel like we really got away from the whole Neuralink. Yeah, no, yeah. We're, we're really just getting, getting, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get back into that because we're gonna get that back into Neuralink. The, there's a to play devil's advocate, yeah. though, to play devil's advocate, though, one thing that I would ask is in the definition of uh, th uh, this technocracy back in the day, while we may not know the definition, were there certain things that, again, I don't think it's out of the ordinary to assume that the grandfather would have some kind of an inspiration for his grandson. So would there have been certain views of how the world works beyond just saying the word technocracy, certain 
ways of seeing reality that his grandfather had that were, let's say, interesting or peculiar or something that would be considered to be out of the ordinary or not? Like, or, or we don't I, have I, that information. I, I genuinely don't know. Uh, I, I, but what I, my model of, of Elon is that he is an extraordinary person and that his brain is like clearly extremely competent. I believe that, you know, genetics has something to do with it. And I believe that if you go back his family line from both sides, you will find extremely sort of, you know, notable people in, in good and bad ways. His father is a well-known scumbag, um, but also brilliant, right, in certain ways. For instance, the thing that's going around, I, I'd love to sort of address that for a second. You, you probably all heard about how his uh, his father had this emerald mine in apartheid Africa, and he was working, uh, you know, it was blood emeralds or whatever. And the story, when you actually hear it, it, he bought a share of a mine in Zambia. Zambia did not have apartheid at the time, so it was literally like just a business investment out of which they got the equivalent of like $400,000 out, um, you know, two good cars or something. Um, and... The guy, like his father, again, being a well-known scumbag, is, like Elon has literally uh, agreed with his ex-wife that their children will never meet him, like that much of a scumbag. Uh, or, or at least, you know, at odds. Like, obje like the objective part is they're at odds, right? Like you might say, like, no, you know, his father is a great guy and Elon is a scumbag, whatever. Um, but they're not on good terms. Um, but it, the one thing that... Errol Errol Musk's wait, wait, one at a time. Alex, uh, you go and then uh, Drew. I want to make sure you guys don't cut in, into each other. Yeah, yeah. So, but the one thing that uh, Errol Musk, his father, did that was good is he ran for an anti-apartheid party while apartheid as, an, as a candidate in, in South Africa while apartheid was ongoing. So, literally, you have this guy, right? Like, who has a lot of shady things. He has two kids with his stepdaughter that he raised since she was, she was four. It's wild. But. Like, he's done one, like, decent thing in his life, which is, like, he was anti-apartheid. And they're literally, like, the story right now is his father was, like, some apartheid, like, Nazi in South Africa. And, you know, when, when the New York Times went to dig into that, they found that Elon quite likely left South Africa because he did not want to serve in the apartheid armed forces, which Elon never mentions. And then they dug in and they found that he had gone to the funeral of a black friend of his in, in the village back in the day. And this was unheard of. Like the, the New York Times actually sent people back to South Africa to dig up dirt. And they wrote that, you know, they spoke to, you know, his friends at the time. And they said, like, yeah, he went to the village to, to, to be at the funeral of his black friend, which was not a thing. You, you did not see that happen, right? Like white people going to black people's funerals was not, Elon has, ne, you know, Elon could easily have, have made this a thing and being like, oh, I'm anti-racist, racist, whatever. He, he never even mentions any of this. Um, and somehow they're, they're painting it to be like some sort of generational wealth, like, you know, racist from South Africa or something. Well, I have a question for Alex and Kat, and then we're going to get to uh, Drew. And it's relating to what Drew said as well, sort of, again, playing devil's advocate here. If there was some quote or some literature from Elon Musk's grandfather that had some zany out there, we're going to put everybody's brain in the jar type of thing. And if you read that, and I have no idea if this exists, but I'm just saying that if you read that, would it be that great of a leap to say that, yeah, there is going to be some connection as far as Elon kind of getting inspired by some of those things, if, again, it's, like, that much out there to even warn talking about it? I generally like to follow the golden rule here, right? This is what I'm advocating for. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. If you would be happy for yourself to be judged by what your grandfather wrote somewhere, and you got, like, you got four grandparents, right? Like, there's a, you know, there's, there's some spread there to work with. Um... 
then do it to others. But I don't think anybody wants to be held. Like, yeah, okay, maybe like maybe there's some like something that can be interpreted in a certain way. I don't know. It would have to be a lot more concrete for me to be like, okay, well, this is weird or whatever. But anytime you have somebody, especially like Elon, who has mountains of activity, right? He 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 runs what like five companies right now. I don't. I've even lost count. Um, there is so much to work with that anybody can, you know, find something and be like, ah, there we go. And I can tell you the exact, I can show you evidence of the opposite, right? So I, I think we have to be extremely careful when we're drawing, you know, there's enough to work with with Elon himself, basically, that I think it's a mistake to try to, like, uh, rope him into some sort of, you know, sinister line or whatever. Like, I can tell you, for, for instance, right? Um was it von Neumann or some other like science fiction author wrote about Mars and that the ruler of Mars would be called the Elon, right? In the sixties. It was like, Werner von Braun. The guy who ran like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> wait, 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 what about Werner von Braun? He wrote the book. It wasn't a sci-fi author. It was the guy who literally ran NASA and, and worked with Disney. Sure, sure, but, but that, that piece was a sci-fi piece and therefore he was a sci-fi author by definition, but yes. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah, but I, he's also an actual rocket scientist that ran NASA and, and worked with Disney specifically. Did he author science fiction? Did he author science fiction? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying okay, he's, cool. he's much more important than a random science fiction author. He literally ran NASA, which now Elon is essentially uh, running the the U.S. space program. You know, NASA exists, but is SpaceX doing a lot of the heavy lifting? Uh, yeah, so it, he is the direct... He is the direct lineage of, you know, who was running the space program originally during the original Apollo program. And now we have Elon essentially being the head of um, of the space program with uh, going to Mars and, and Artemis going back to the moon. So, But that still does not imply to... he's going to be following in those same footsteps as Werner von Braun and his uh, slave mining operation back in Germany. We still have to separate those two and judge them according to the things that they do yeah, as opposed yeah, to something that we can't prove. Them. I think you have to look at people as individuals, full stop. I mean, um, I, I've I've struggled a little bit with this, you know, because I look at, say, the Holocaust. Never written about that in that context. And, you know, I've, I've gone to uh, places where, say, my ancestor, you know, my family was mostly murdered. And, you know, you, you look at people and you can't, can't help but wonder, you know, where their family was. But at the end of the day, nobody chooses to be born to somebody else. And so... You you cannot judge them by the actions of their, you know, whoever they were born to. Sometimes they're victims of the people that mm. they were born to. So this is, so I think it's absolutely absurd to judge them by anything but their own actions and thoughts. Well, I have a way to flip this around before uh, Drew continues. So it's one thing for people to say, well, I accuse this person of being so-and-so, this evil person because of some lineage. It's a different thing to say that there are certain things that people, especially people who are extremely intelligent, get very interested in that may not necessarily be that interesting by to the, a lot of people. For example, by the way, the, love yes. your audience is really, really bad. So it would be great really? if you could figure out. Yeah, yeah, it's like breaks apart, like like very robotic or something. So I don't know if you can fix that. But um, but in terms of your question, 
I'm going to say, I mean, for example, you grow up in a family and mm. uh, which I think is, this is your question. So you're, you grow up in a family and of course your family is going to influence you and your ideas, right? Cause you're, whoever you're exposed to ultimately a lot of the time is going to have some influence on you, but you're still ultimately your own individual person. So can it influence you? Sure. It can, of course, but you know, but also people rebel against their families all the time. They, they, they can look at what their family's thoughts are and be like, you know what? I don't like this. Uh, they can take the good ideas and, and, and run with them because, you know, not every, you might be surrounded by someone who is an absolute monster, but they have this one great idea, right. Or two five or five or a hundred great ideas. You know, I'm surrounded by my family and we argue about things all the time. And then I take some things and they're, fantastic and some things I'm like no and some things I change their mind so you know you you just can't again you have to kind of look at the whole picture so there's influence but you're also influenced by your friends you're influenced by your surroundings everything is my audio better right now I, or no I, I really would love to I, I really would love to focus much more on the original framing that Drew did and try to address that can, can we do that because I, I really think that there was something really substantial there that I, I can Address and I think it'll surprise people the, the direction that it'll, it'll go, but I, I don't know. Absolutely. I just want to make sure is my audio better or no? Or is no, it still... it's okay. Not, okay. It's not All right. All right. Just a moment. I just uh, want to reset the room really quick. Really quickly. Uh, so yeah, the audio is not better. Uh, break the break the rules. So maybe try um, leaving the room and then coming right. Break the break the rules. So maybe try. Yeah, this is going to happen a couple of times, everybody. So brace yourself. So Twitter Spaces is not working out as good as I thought it would, unfortunately. But uh, we'll see what can happen in the future with this thing. Uh, to Dr. Gator and get his thoughts so far on things. Okay, thank you. Yes. Um... All right, let's do this. So, basically, um, Drew said. I, I, so, I'm I'm very familiar with the whole um, sort of. Still not showing the right speaker. Damn it! Here we go. Uh, world, um, and you know, I've have sort of read a number of things around singularity and whatnot. I think Drew said something that I understand slightly, subtly differently, and I think that subtleness is important. Which is that um, they're, uh, the objective of that crowd is to reach a singularity, and that's not the case. Um, uh, not even you know, Kurzweil is like one of the most sort of mainstream and less sort of interesting thinkers in that space. But even him, he they don't discuss it as you know, let's achieve that. They discuss it as some a thing will happen, and after that thing, we can't predict the future. Like uh, you know, normally in everyday life, you can you can have some sort of you know, idea of what will happen tomorrow. Maybe not like in, in detail, but, you know, roughly. Um, but, you know, the idea with the singularity is that past that, you know, the point X and the different thinkers have different definitions and different things that they're concerned about. But the whole idea of the singularity is past point X we can't predict, right? So uh, it's not, it's nobody's um, uh, desire to get there. They, they're all really worried about it. But it's like the question is, what do we what do we do? Um, and 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 really, from there, it, the next sort of thing I want to sort of get out there is the this idea of a 
um, super intelligence, right? And and there was this book by Nick Bostrom that a lot of people read at the time, around maybe 2009 it came out. I'm not sure, maybe 10. Um, that kind of goes through that. It's, it's called super intelligence. Um, and, and goes through all of the different paths we might get to super intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a lot of that crowd has become very much uh, control mindset, by the way. So they are, you know, in, in theory, my the, the people I hardcore disagree with, but we come from a very similar uh, background. Um, and r really, the, the, the core question that I think everybody has to answer for themselves is, do you believe that a, a machine itself can become... I, I don't, I'm not talking about sentience and I'm not talking about souls. I think these things are not relevant to the question, which is, can it become super intelligent? And if it becomes super intelligent, um, you know, will it treat us like we treat ants, right? Like, we don't love them, we don't hate them, they're just there, and sometimes they get in the way, and sometimes we have to, you know, get them out of the way because we want to do, we want to build a house or whatever, and there's an anthill there, and it's going to get crushed, and nobody thinks about it twice. Um, th th that's, the, that's the fear. Um, I, I do think that that is, uh, it's possible for a machine to become uh, hyper-intelligent. And again, I'm not saying, that doesn't say anything about consciousness or sentience or a soul or anything like that, right? Uh, a bird can fly and a plane can fly, but a plane does not fly like a bird flies, right? It, 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 you can have something that is a lot more brute force and a lot simpler and a lot more rigid, but it can still, you know, technically fly without copying you know, the movement of a bird. And I think that's, um, you know, because the fastest thing in the, in the skies right now is, 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 you know, the SR-72 or whatever, whatever un, undisclosed uh, jet, right? It's not, it's not a hawk. Um, and, 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 and that's the worry, right? Will, will, will we create a machine that will be, be uh, so much more competent than us that whatever objective it happens to have and whatever way it happens to interpret that objective, it will steamroll us to get to that objective, regardless of what, it's just an algorithm at the end of the day, it'll just go there. Um, I think Elon believes that. I, I believe that. I, I, here's a fun fact. Um, for the longest time, my criticism of Elon is that he did not take AI risk seriously. Um, so I, I didn't pay attention to him because I'm like, okay, he's super into technology and whatever, but he doesn't get it, right? And if he doesn't get it, like, it doesn't matter what else he's doing because there's this big thing that's coming and we should be extremely concerned about it. And if he if he doesn't get it, like you know, he's either going to be neutral or detrimental. And around that time that that book came out, um, he I think he read it and he it, it he made a bunch of statements to the press like, I'm losing sleep. I don't know what to do. This is super like wild. Um, they told there was this interview where they're like, well, you know, we can always go to Mars, right? And he's like, nope, it's going to follow us there pretty quickly. Um, like you know, he's, <laughs> he was really concerned about that, and. He tried to then, um, he invested in DeepMind just so he's aware, before they got bought by Google, right? So he was one of the investors. So he could be aware of what's happening in that space. He then helped start OpenAI. You know, the people who do GPT-3, uh, GPT and whatever, um, he was one of the, there was like four or five people that started that company and he was uh, among them, but he uh, left uh, soon thereafter and has been critical of their uh, AI safety efforts since then, actually. Um, and Neuralink was essentially his third attempt at third bite at the apple. And I'm here to make the case that Neuralink is the conservative case for uh, artificial intelligence. All right. Have you seen those articles, the conservative case for X? This is what I'm going to pitch. Um, Neuralink is the conservative case for uh, an artificial intelligence. Why? Because it is 
found it in the human, right? The, the, the whole idea with Neuralink is to make um, AI the third layer of the human brain, right? We got the, the neocortex on top, the lizard brain underneath, and I'm sure if there's any neuroscientists in the audience, they're screaming because I'm completely oversimplifying it. I know. Um, but the whole idea is like, you know, your, 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 your lower brain does not want to eject your neocortex and your neocortex is nothing without your lower brain, right? Like, it's just, it's just intelligence with no motivation. Um, the whole idea is like, can we build AI as an extension of humanity, right? As a taking the spark, the core of the human being, extending it into, you know, a more capable form of itself through uh, an artificial intelligence that has been um, grown, essentially, um, alongside uh, a human, or will we build an AI that lives in a data center somewhere, um, is completely autonomous, has no uh, guidance from, no high bandwidth guidance from a human, um, or, you know, any, any anything at its core, um, it will be a singleton, like uh, in, in Nick Boston. So there's only going to be one of it, right? There's not, with, with Neuralink, you can have one, you know, AI per person, essentially. Um, but with the, 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 the whole, like, kind of data center model, let's call it, um, you can have a singleton. You can have a single AI that kind of dominates um, everything and is untethered from humanity. I, I pinned this um, to the space um it's it's also mythology but it's more recent mythology uh, it's from the movie robocop um there is a, a fight scene between uh robocop which i see as the kind of the embodiment of you know human plus machine right and it, it's it's a human a, 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 a augmented amplified by the machine around him but a better form of that idea is iron man right like you you have a human and you put a suit and it's still a human but it's much more capable um, versus the Ed 209, which is pure machine, right? And you kind of have that fight scene that I, I, I feel like should be our, our mythology because I do think humanity has these two paths to take. Either the machines will take over or we will, we will, be, we will be the, the advanced being ourselves. Um, and I think that's what Elon is doing. He's, he says, well, if you can't beat him, join him, basically. He's probably tweeted to that effect. Um, and he's like, look, we either, you know, get a high bandwidth connection fast or um, this thing will become sentient, like, well, will become an agent, right? It will, it will develop the ability to pursue complicated actions uh, without human input, uh, at which point we're at war, right? And that war is a war we lose. So, uh, you know, that's, that's how I think he sees it. Um, that's how he said it. And, and it fits in the timeline as well. I think timelines are very important. He didn't just come up one day and be like, you know, yo, plug me in, baby. Um, he, he tried several things. He got really disappointed with how the open AI people were um, progressing. Um, and honestly, knowing all the uh, AI safety approaches I've, uh, I've heard and seen, um, Neuralink is the only one that takes feedback into account, right? It's something where the, the, the sort of the extra layer, let's say, of intelligence can be constantly corrected by the human, right, to become more, more uh, human compatible, more human uh, a complement to the human rather than a competitor to the human, which is the, na the natural direction for any agent, right, is to clear its orbit. Like, you don't want, we don't, that's what we did, right? Any, any species on Earth that could threaten us, we've wiped out, or we've made, you know, we put in a cage. Like, we, we don't, you, I don't go around worried whether I'm going to be eaten by bears or wolves, right? That's not a problem for me. It was for my ancestors. So, what about getting eaten uh, by the yeah, AI? That's, that's what I, I think the schema is, the, the way I think about it. Like, that's, I, th I think that's how he sees the future. Um, and honestly, I think Twitter, him buying Twitter is fantastic in that regard, because I think 
the one thing he hasn't thought about a lot is individual autonomy in that in that context. And I think buying this platform and sort of having to think about the, the question of free speech a lot more, he will also understand that centralized control systems um, are either doomed to fail or doomed to fail us. Um, so, you know, they're basically a single point of failure. Um, so they, you know, we have to work on a distributed approach. That's that's what I hope he, he sort of realizes next. I want to make sure you guys can hear me. Am I coming through all right now? Yep, you're oh, good. You're great. You're great. All, right, all right, all right, perfect. So I have a lot to say here, but I want others to speak as well. First off, one very important thing about the AI versus Neuralink battle here that I think may have been disregarded is human willpower. And we're seeing today with a lot of kids and their cell phones and the selfies and all of that, uh, you know, TikTok, that world is seemingly turning kids into way more of a robot than previous generations. If you have something that's constantly guiding you like a crutch to do this, to do that, and if that becomes your if that becomes your world, then how much of a human being are you at the end of the day in comparison to the AI when your own willpower to get up in the morning, to think about certain things, to struggle, if all of that is being compensated for with an artificial intelligence uh, machine in your head that's doing it for you? That's number one. And number two, and this is the, the most important part, I'm not sure if this is what Drew was alluding to, but I think he was sort of. There is still the biggest question of all, who are we? What is going on here? What is the strange three-dimensional reality that we're in? My concern is that we may be selling our own abilities too short, and we may be selling too short the understanding, possibly, that there's more things going on out there than just whatever it is that the quote-unquote experts have agreed upon as our reality. And if we go into some kind of an artificial intelligence neuraling hive mind, by that point, are we not stuck in the self-referential loop that's going to prevent prevent us from gaining intelligence that may be outside of that particular loop and i know i'm being a little bit cryptic about how yeah. i describe it but i hope you understand what i mean here. no i well, hold on <laughs> no, go, go ahead go ahead i first of all i like i like questions that are short and i like to look at things in in a more practical lens that that's just me and i and i totally get the the, the philosophical I, I get you know, I geek out over that stuff too, but I also like to look at things in, in more direct ways as how they, they, they affect us. So your question number one, I think is kind of interesting to me and I'd love to sort of take a stab at that and maybe leave question number two to other uh, panelists. But um, question number one, because I think our brains are just have already been rewired to a large extent, right? We don't have the memories that we used to have. We, we need stimulation. We don't leave a lot of room for boredom because uh, we, we, we are so used to our devices. So we've already, you know, we are part cyborg ultimately already. So we're I mean, we're having this conversation from our, you know, we're transferring thoughts into the ether, uh, which are digitized as we speak. And we're all behaving as if we're in the same digital space, right? Like this is the irony of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But we've but kind of devolved in that process, I think, like in terms of how people interact with their environment, I think we did devolve already. I'm not, and why do we want more of that? 
Well, we, we we probably don't. I mean, I think there are certain things where are very regrettable. I mean, for example, let's just look at something as basic as boredom, which we think of as a as maybe a negative thing. But I I would argue that it is a very positive thing, because letting our minds wander is is actually very key to our humanity. It's how we invent things. It's how we we come up with new ideas. We string string things together. But a lot of time we spend it filled whether we're watching you know a show on Netflix or we're on Twitter typing away readings we're constantly stimulating our brains and when we don't do that we, we feel uh, this kind of negative and there is there's a lot of sort of science behind that as well right that's it's a form of addiction ultimately and so that already is an issue and then memory you know the idea of memory uh, we, we don't remember things in the same way that we used to and a lot of our memories on devices and so it's whether it's the photos do we remember do we remember the thing that we saw or do we remember an image of it that we looked at so there's a lot of that that's happening and then with ai you know we're becoming okay so uh we're going to become even more of a of a cyborg and like i said there's good things about it okay i'll be able to learn a language but how will that nature of me learning this language be different um you know, there's something that, you know, I know a few languages, so um, the way that you learn a language uh, best is, is sort of immersive, it's cultural, uh, there's there's an experience that you have with it, there's a fight, there's a struggle, and through that, there's some sort of an enrichment, a human sort of process that goes through it. If you just download the language, do you have the same uh, richness of understanding of that language? Or is I don't it think Neuralink is going to be. I, I genuinely don't think Neuralink is going to be able to just download a language. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a native Greek speaker, and a lot about a language is how your brain is structured around that language. It's not about the vocabulary or the grammar rules. So um, I think you can't work around. So long as you have a human brain at the core, you can't work around that concept. That, that, uh, for me, I don't know if that helps you be less worried about it or not, but no, fundamentally, not. somehow you gotta you gotta oh. absorb that absorb that mental there, model, and that takes practice. There is an well, example. Maybe it's gonna be just in a, in a translation element, to mm. it, which is more likely what's gonna happen is that we're gonna have a real time uh, translation that's going to happen, and it's gonna be at a much higher level, which is kind of neat because we'll be able to connect with people. You know, you're gonna speak your language, I'm gonna speak mine, and we're still gonna understand each other, but. You know, there's it's great on the one hand. I mean, I remember I was just in Japan not that long ago, and you know, I used Google Translate and would keep drunk people at the bar, and you know, it was awesome. But is it the same as connecting through a real common language? I don't know. There is another aspect here, though, not of language, but of the motor co cortex. And this is something uh, that I think, Alex, you may be able to answer much better than a lot of people, which is. Would it be possible to have a Neuralink system where certain motivations that we have to do things like getting up in the morning, like working out, moving our muscles the right way, where all of that would be kind of programmed into us so that uh, our brain will instruct our body without us needing to exercise willpower, fighting whatever pleasures we would rather have at the time, you know, fighting that urge to, you know, just endlessly scroll on TikTok. Because that, that, that's, that's the real fear, at least for me, that we wouldn't be able to utilize it. I genuinely 
like, look, I'm not, I'm not a neuroscientist. I don't know how this stuff works. I don't even know we know what happens down the line. But the way I conceptualize a Neuralink um, is as a high bandwidth um, external or add-on, let's say, to the brain. So whatever your brain is doing at the core, unless it can be sort of programmed through feedback to, like, alter it, you're not going to be able to do things that fundamentally human beings, you know, time is not going to flow faster or slower. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to absorb like things that require your neurons to be rewired without that rewiring. Um, you know, you're, like will, things like willpower and stuff like that, I think is way, way deeper than our neocortex, right? Like it, it, it probably, if you can find it in, in, in lower level animals, it's probably ancestral and it will uh, continue. Like, yeah. So, so like, I, don't, I, I genuinely don't think that, you know, it will change us to the degree that we can be changed, I guess, is, is maybe the, the, the point I'm making. And it won't change us in ways that are fundamental mm. uh, because, you know, that's the whole point is not is not to change the, the root architecture, but it is to build on the, you know, time proven, Lindy, call it what you will, architecture of the human brain. Right. That is the like, let's call it. I mean, we would say that, of course, the pinnacle of, of evolution uh, is the human brain. So the whole idea is like, why? Um, mess with that. Let's let's build on it instead. But if you're building on it to the extent that certain things that would require somebody to uh, make a choice between do I do A or B, and if you make some kind of, again, like I bring in something like dopamine, for instance, I know that has to do more with drugs, but I'm sure that eventually, unless I'm mistaken, Neuralink would be able to find a way to motivate people into making one decision over the other. I don't want to actually continue. Would that, am I wrong or no? I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. Um, again, I don't think that's how it's envisioned. Will it be possible? I, like, honestly, we know so little about, you know, even when we say dopamine and we're like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like this or that. And then you look into the neural pathways and you find out it's a lot more nuanced and complicated than we thought it was. Right. Like they they, they did the whole like, oh, you know, depression has to do with too many serotonin yeah. things floating around. Let's do let's go on that down that rabbit hole. And then like so two decades later, it's like, OK, well, maybe uh, it's not that like, but, you know, but we're not it, completely it's a lot more blind. complicated. We're not completely blind on this either, because like Catherine was saying, we we do have examples of having the smartphones, the computers right in front of us right today, and we see what's happening to people that are constantly having this back and forth relationship with these devices as opposed to being able to utilize their memory. I want to get to the other uh, guests here uh, soon, but one quick example I wanted to bring up is that of Nikola Tesla. Since we're talking about Musk, we might as well talk about Tesla. From the biographies that were written about him, allegedly Nikola Tesla was able to completely see the entire device that he wanted to create before he actually put anything to any uh, piece of paper. And when I think about the degree of intelligence that, that takes, the degree of visualization, imagination, that is something of such a high level that if Nikola Tesla, like a junior, whoever, were to have like all these screens in front of him that he would be putting in you know, various pieces of information, I would think that it would start uh, making his, his uh, ability less prominent. That's at least my opinion on yeah. that. Uh, thank you, guys. And this this is a good discussion. I I do want to. I know. Uh, I, I do want to hear from Doctor Roller Gator. He's been waiting patiently mm. for a while. Uh, what's up, Doctor Gator? Uh, first, I'd just like to remind uh, everyone that RoboCop had to eat baby food exclusively. So that's the future that Alex wants is for us to all rely on baby food for sustenance, and I'm against that. Um, but seriously, um, a very brave stand. 
<laughs> there, there's, there's multiple layers to the discussion, and almost unimportant among them is Elon and his motivations for Neuralink. First, there would be the question of what is actually physically possible in the in the hard science sense of merging the 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 mind of a human and and electronics i would imagine that it is very high the, the, the capabilities and the possible abilities to utilize um, uh, electronic systems to augment or even completely transform the way that that the human mind can work. I would believe that scientifically, the it's an extreme, extremely high degree of interconnectivity that can be achieved. Um, there have been experiments in the past uh, twenty years where uh, they've basically grown neurons, uh, rat neurons, in petri dishes and attached them to specialized um, uh, robots that allowed the these pseudo brains to control uh, robots, robot cars to some degree. So there is clearly an, a, a capability for, for biotic neurons to interact with electronical uh, machinery to the point where, provided you can create feedback loops similarly to the way that the actual biology works, which is with uh, neurotransmitters, where you're releasing chemical A to signal one thing, chemical B to signal another, that you can have this sort of interconnectivity. Now, the second question from what is physically the limitation is, from our current technology set, what is our ability to do it? Because we're not going to be growing in our own brain in a Petri dish because we already have our brain. So from the actual Elon involvement, Neuralink, I believe, is simply a, yes, it's in your cranium, but it is simply a surface connection to the brain. It is not an invasive one to, to my understanding. Now, that would be a time-based limitation. Once you have something working on the surface of the brain to be able to interact to some degree, people probably would experiment with more invasive technologies, things that would probe deeper into the brain to access different regions. Now, on, on the current horizon, you would have the question of what is capable, what is Neuralink capable of? If you were to think of possible use cases for a Neuralink technology where you are intentionally not trying to feed back into the brain, meaning you're not trying to send signals back, one could imagine a capability of memory storage and, and recall, where simply you're attempting to recall archival information. You're not attempting to induce excitement, unless I guess the memory would induce excitement, but you're, you are attempting to retrieve information. Everybody's probably had an intention to find something in a different room, wandered into that room, forgot what they went into that room for. And they sit there for maybe, you know, a minute and a half going, what the fuck did I come into this room for? I could imagine that people would be uh, interested in having a feature where they don't have to have that sort of, you know, short-term memory loss, where they can actually remember what they wanted to do because it would make them more efficient. If they had an intention of going to do the dishes, that they would do the dishes. They would remember that that's what they went into the room for and actually commit to it. Uh, I can imagine people... to, to augment your point, um, working memory limitation is probably the most the most primary limitation of human intelligence right like you can sort of the, the, there's there's tests of working memory that correlate extremely well to tests of iq so 
Yeah, but that's but that's also the dangerous, the most dangerous but, thing. Sorry, that I, I've heard I didn't, so I didn't far need to take here. the mic from from Gator. Just, oh, no, right, I'm, just I'm, I'm talking about people's uh, people's possibility for wanting to purchase something, right? I'm, the the buying, right, board, right, right. That would be that would be something people would buy in for, right? And so, if if something is technologically possible, you imagine that you're going to at least get close to it. Um, at some point now the, the length of time on that horizon is is a question but people are going to you're going to get there technologically speaking if given enough time if it's feasible in the short term period there's the question of people adopting this this thing that would give it the motivation to continue further that type of ability would be something that people would want to buy into now whether or not that sort of feature could ever be done just on the surface area would be open to question but if if Neuralink is supposed to augment the brain in any way, if it is more than extending motor control to to external devices, like would be uh, suggested as one of the first use cases, right? Uh, helping people with paralysis or lost limbs potentially have extra limbs, that would be a unidirectional sort of um, a flow where someone is either attempting to think natively, like if they used to have an arm, they are trying to think the same way that they had you know they did when they had the arm to move it and it is mimicking that that signal to a new format or it is a different set of instructions that someone has to learn where they are they're trained to try to think a certain way that isn't necessarily the old way but a new way and they can now have this augmentation uh you know experiments where you are moving a cursor with with some of these these technologies have been done the the way that you move the cursor obviously we don't move cursors with our brain currently right now except through the extension of arms right so the the space that we are we are navigating has several layers and one of them that is almost irrelevant is elon's desires because if elon pulls it off someone else can pull it off as well it if if Elon is only going to go so far, he someone else is going to go farther, and there's almost no way that that his intent becomes actually into this into this mix. Now, whether or not something could compete with AI would have two sorts of of things. One time based is probably no AI is going to be there, and if it could beat us, whatever concept of beat us it would have, it will beat us eventually. If if we are talking about a time scale. If you can extract similar utility from something Neuralink-like that would cause people to invest less in AI technology, pure AI technology, then you could buy yourself some time, so to speak, off of that, whatever that event horizon that um, Alex had referenced before, that point where you can't predict the future anymore. You could buy yourself some time because now the investment and focus is on the technology of the, the hybridization. Now, on the concern side, what people would absolutely be concerned of is if you are going to augment yourself and people, you now have a, an advantage over others, that advantage now can be thought of as being unfair. In sports, we don't, you know, we have rules uh, against doping, so to speak, so that the players of that game do not have unfair advantage. Now, obviously, we're having lots of arguments over what constitutes unfair advantages, and we wind up with these category issues where we're floating in and out of them. We don't know, hey, if someone, you know, it has, has better qualities innately, is that an unfair advantage just because it's innate? Uh, you know, if they process a, a, a chemical better than another person, um, is that an unfair advantage? Uh, Etc. We don't we don't have those all clear and honed out. But if someone has now an artificial 
neurolink type augmentation, is that an unfair advantage? Is that an unfair advantage depending on how far the technology is along in the hypothesis or the hypothetical situation? Is it an unfair advantage for you know for them to play games of 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 uh, intelligence like like chess, games of strategy, things like that? If if some if people in the workplace now have an advantage, is it an unfair advantage that is now pushing others to have to get these augmentations in order to participate in society or or in order to survive? What is it that their comparative advantage can offer a marketplace where everyone else is participating in these um, augmentations? And the that sort of feedback loop, the augmentation feedback loop, giving advantages to other participants in a, in a long-running game is something that changes humanity in its in its own nature, but it's a technological change that we have experienced sort of uh, analogs to throughout our entire existence, um, but it would be a unique analog. Gator, the, the thing to keep in mind is that what you described about, you know, um, again, the, the, the idea of like, well, if I'm more competent, then I'm taking away from your opportunities is a zero-sum um, concept, I did say right? comparative because... advantage. I said comparative advantage, and you're talking about the people who do who are currently not participating. So it's not a it's not a one. Let me let me let me let me complete let me complete the thought. The, the, you know, if we think like there, you know, there's only like a hundred jobs at Goldman Sachs, then yes, all the people that will get those jobs are probably going to be augmented, um, and the people who aren't augmented are not going to be getting those jobs. But if we think about it as you know, you have people who are able to contribute with inventions and and, and creation to the future of humanity, then Everybody gets uh, the, the the benefits of that, um, but also think about the the twin threat here from the bottom up, right? Because AI today, non-human AI, right, completely you know cloud-based AI is eating jobs uh, from the bottom up. So um, it's not like the choice. And, and this is, I think, the the really important thing about the trade-offs here that you know we're talking about sort of AI cutting us off from reality. So maybe if we don't want to do that, we should focus on the actual reality and, and reality is about trade-offs. So if we all agree that these things are possible, the question is not uh, if, but when and how, right? So we would want these things to be available to all and not sort of hogged by a, a small uh, group. And I think Elon uh, controlling technology in its early stages can um, make a difference there, for instance. Um, or, you know, we would, we, you know, again, like, I don't think that the whole Unabomber thing is going to work out. So we're not going to go back to the Stone Age, um, at least not not by choice anyway. So um, we're going to have to deal with the fact that, you know, um, AI is eating up jobs from the bottom up um, and that there's going to be a class of people that just aren't the way things are headed today, right, without Neuralink and without much else. Um, I mean, Elon's, Elon's support for UBI was explicitly for this reason, because I think he sees it ahead of him that um, there's just a class of, you know, jobs that are going away, a, a class of um, places people can put their, their minds to that is, is, is you know, rapidly evaporating. Um, and, and he foresees, and a lot of people foresee that this is going to create a class of unemployables, right? So what are you going to, what's, what's the plan? How do you maintain a democracy? when a big part of the of society, you know, is, is locked out of the job market. Um, I don't know, you know, like, so, so in my mind, like something like a Neuralink is actually an equalizer in the sense that 
um, things like you know the ability to have working memory, which again is is highly correlated with IQ, is actually available to all. Um, and again, it's not a question of if we want to do that. The question is if it is possible, it will be done. The question is how. But uh, that's that is primarily you know a lot of what I said. So so I don't yeah, think. No, no, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing okay. with you. I'm just kind of so, yeah. So the, but the, what the last po point, though, would be people's reservations towards this all. The last point that I was making was people's reservations. If you are, you are as you're saying, is a you know, possible you know, motivation to do this would be equalizing humans against the AI competition that is causing this change. You now have a force where humans are forced to adopt, or pretty much, uh, you know, to survive, forced to adopt this augmentation in order to keep up against the the ai and now in now inside of that sub competitive space just human to human now you have augmented humans that can can keep increasing their upgrades versus versus normal unaugmented humans who are now forced to try to make this decision every day do i enter that do i enter that augmentation do i enter that augmentation and that's going to be a psychological hellhole when we well, have to there, approach it that look, way. this is this has happened before right like we, we're talking as if this is the first time in history that it has happened, but you know, I did say there's analogs all throughout history for it, but it's yeah, like uh, the, 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 you know, potentially singularities have occurred before, and I would offer up the uh, transition to you know farming as one of those, right? Because once you once a society starts uh, farming, the at least what we can tell from the record right now is that longevity over the individual decreases. It's actually worse for an individual to, to live as a, you know, as a farmer who is subject to, you know, the weather and is stationary in one place and whatever, whatever. But the thing is, if you start farming and there's a few good years, you blow up your population in such a way that you can't go back to being a hunter-gatherer, right? So that, in a way, was this kind of, the same kind of, like, um, one-way ratchet that humanity has gone through before um, where you're like, yeah, well, you know, it was nicer for the hunter-gatherers themselves. They probably had longer, you know, lives uh, than people who were trapped in a, you know, a early sort of city-like, you know, um, conurbation. But at the same time, there's a lot more of us. And, you know, there's that, 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 prevents us from going back without killing 90% of our population. So, um, But does quantity equal quality? And, and I think this is where we have to transition to thinking about what we're doing as a species and not, not necessarily as individuals in competition Let's with see, each other over a fixed pie. Looks like I have to reset again. Here we go. And I think this is where we have to transition to thinking about what we're all right, looks like we have to wait. Yeah, I don't know about doing Twitter spaces through the simulator anymore. It's not going to work out too well, uh, but let's see here. Let's do it one more time. Start listening. Elon is actually doing. Um, if he ever thinks that he should tie Neuralink to Twitter, uh, I think we should all we should all rebel because that will be that will be the downfall of humanity. That will be our, uh, you know. <laughs> And a salvation for many of us who would be in much more restrictive environments, even though it was restrictive in prior management. Um, and honestly, if you look at my um, my thread on Elon, right, um, that I've posted pinned uh, in the space, um, I wrote that in two hours. But you can actually see the timestamps. That's how I knew. I went back and looked. Um, 
And I was able to thread together an incredible amount of, you know, media and information and all of that. Um, and I did that by remembering things and then finding references and filtering stuff and, and joining it together and using Twitter as the frictionless sort of creativity uh, platform that I, I use it for. Um, and I don't, like, I think that level of collation of information, I would have needed, like, I don't know, like, years uh, and, and if I was hunting from library to library or, you know, like newspaper archives or whatever. Um, so I don't, I don't, I, I think if you use this technology on its terms, but also um, kind of conscious of your nature as a human being, right? You don't try to push yourself into doing things you are not made for, but you actually swim in the information available to us as a human. I think you can do a lot. Like, and a lot of what I do on Twitter is actually explore the medium as a creative medium. But I, I don't think things are that doom and gloom, you know? Like, yeah. Mm. Wait, can you hear me, by the way? Because the uh, last time yep. I did not work. So all you guys are saying really fascinating things, you and Gator. The one thing that, uh, again, I have the issue with is it's going to take a hell of a lot of discipline for the average person to utilize this technology in such a way that they're not just going to give over their entire willpower to this thing. Because like you were mentioning with the farmings, uh, with the farmers, yeah, the hunter-gatherers may have had to think of a lot more things than the farmers in order to survive. And the, we have this idea of evolution going in an upwards trajectory, even though really there's no such thing. It's natural selection. We basically end up with whatever it is that uh, fits at the time. So with most people having this ability to get any piece of information that they want. We see what happens right now. How many people use the gift of libgen to get any kind of book that they want to? Not that many. Most people just play uh, t uh, like TikTok or Candy Crush Saga on their phone and that's it. So if we imagine what's going to happen in the future with people having the ability to gain any piece of information that they want to, which a lot of it is going to be pornography, a lot of it is just going to be wasting time watching uh, stupid videos and having that kind of feedback loop for most people. The concern here is that that glue that kept societies together as far as the pillars of the community keeping each other up, you know, learning Greek, learning Latin, learning mythology, learning classics, what's going to keep people going in that trajectory as opposed to everybody just letting the AI figure it out? You know, like that to me is the most dangerous thing of this whole of this whole endeavor that we're going into, that while we're fighting against the AI, we are going to lose whatever willpower makes us who we are today, and we're going to end up being nothing but animals that are piloted by AI. You know, animals, I mean, in the grossest sense here. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think willpower is what separates us from AI. In fact, I almost. It's almost a rule for me. I do not use willpower. I. I, I detest using willpower. I like letting you know myself almost in a meditative state uh, emerge. What will emerge out out of me when I interact with you know my environment and. Um, I think, I mean, there's a lot of studies about willpower. I don't know if they've, you know, fallen to the replication crisis or whatever. Um, I don't, I don't think trying to will yourself through life is sustainable. Honestly, I think it's, it's, uh, whenever I've tried it, at least it's, it's exhausting, but, um, to, like I, 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 your other point, just consider what's happened over the last few years, right? Like humanity had been, at least that's my model, right? And I know others might disagree. Um, humanity had been under, you know, a fairly unified narrative, you know, during the uh, Cold War, it was two narratives, uh, you know, and afterwards um, it was, again, one narrative and that and uh, whatever. Um, 
and and none of us could put the pieces together to figure out what the hell is going on, right? A lot of things happened that we all thought was were one way, and then all of a sudden now we're like, hey, wait a minute, was that what we thought it was, or was it something completely different? But over the last couple of years, you know, random people, like people who have never met, um, have been able to put things together, and I think what we're witnessing right now is a, is, is an inability of the authorities to take control of the conversation, and they've tried like hell. I mean, Twitter files are basically, um, you know, a, a chronicle of that. Um, and, and, and technology has actually helped us um, put together the story in far more compelling ways than whatever it is they've been trying to say. And that's why they're making a fool of themselves over and over. Like, you know, uh, that's why every report that comes out of the CDC is, has been torn apart in a few hours. And, yeah, most people don't know about it yet, but a lot of us do. Right. Um, and, and so I think, you know, technology, especially Twitter, even though we all love to hate it uh, over the last few years, has really helped uh, humanity keep its sanity, weirdly enough, um, and wrest control from the powers that wanted to guide us a certain way. But there are also a lot of people who have been uh, misled and a lot of people who ended up in all kinds of bubbles. And when it and comes all, to... And they always have been, right? Like, how, how do people go to war? Like, just think of the simple thing of, like, people going to war, right? Like, what level of information control does somebody have to have over you to convince you to take a gun, right, go to Belgium, d jump in a trench, and start killing, you know, people from the other side of, of Europe? No, I know. Like back then, uh, during World War One, we certainly ha were duped into uh, that kind of situation. But still, when it comes to a person utilizing their memory, I know that you're not that big on willpower. But I can just imagine that in several generations of babies being born, where the AI takes care of a lot of the decisions they have to make in life, it's very strange for me to imagine that something like that is not going to have some kind of a uh, effect as far as the babies that they're going to have and so on and so forth, that that's not going to result in some kind of a uh, devolution, if you will. Meanwhile, the uh, nanny artificial intelligence is corralling all the people into doing whatever it is that it thinks is best for them. It um it reminds me of the conversations that were being had. I, I I'm sadly not as aware of the philosophy of my my country as I should be to give you the proper reference. But you know, in the time of Socrates and Plato and whatever, they were having a lot of this kind of conversation about writing, right? About how people's memory is fading away because now we can write things. They down. were right. They were right. Right, they were right. right. I, I, sure. Okay. But like, you know, we're still here, man. We're still human. We're still doing our thing. It's different. It's not, you know, I can't, you know, uh, tell you a rhapsody off the top of my head like they could. They could uh, like recite Homer sure, sure. nonstop. But I, 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 hey, I mean, I'm doing a different thing. Right? But okay, no, look, look at it this way, though. I understand what you're saying, but you're talking about a very interesting thing here, which I think is kind of like the core of this conversation, which is what I brought up earlier. We have a very limited range, like Graham Hancock always calls us a species with amnesia. We have an extremely limited range of information, even right now with putting all the pieces together on the internet. And I think we put ourselves in the corner when we imagine that the only things that human beings are capable of are the things that we've experienced today, that we've experienced in our own company, that we may have read about, you know, like some smart guy figuring something out. And then we just put a wall there and we say, okay, this is as much as humanity can go without the aid of technology the only way it's going to be able to cross the great filter is through technology is through being able to attach themselves to artificial intelligence i would argue that 
at least based on certain things that I've personally experienced as far as other things that I read. And no, this is not a uh, materialistic scientific view of reality, but I think it's a very important one nonetheless. I don't think we should limit ourselves. And I think it is very important to look within as far as finding a potential solution to this conundrum of artificial intelligence. I, I was going to agree with you until a few years ago, and then Sam Harris happened, and then... Oh, yeah. no! No, I want to... Listen, listen, I want to get Drew back on this as long as we stick to the conversation of Neuralink and the family stuff, all that. That's like was to, talked about by Gator. That's not the important stuff. We shouldn't judge them right now based on the motivations, just the actual thing at hand that's what i want to talk about so i know drew if you have anything to say as far as consciousness goes as far as what we've been talking about the negative potentials of Neuralink, certain things that i may have been bringing on here uh let me know what's on your mind so yeah I'm, i've uh, i've got dinner here in a second but i just wanted to to put in a few final ideas for you guys um uh, as far as what elon's actually been doing um, recently, especially in regards to Twitter, um, is, you know, it, it does, a, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of what he's doing as far as, you know, making it less easy to get banned. The Twitter files things is cool. Um, uh, my concern is always as far as, you know, the, the original question of being controlled opposition, my mind always goes to, um, you know, what worst case scenario, what could he be leading us into if, um, you know, uh, you know, he's giving us all these nice things, what could possibly go wrong? Um, and I think his, what concerns me about Twitter specifically, I know it's not necessarily Neuralink, but, um, it's, uh, you know, the fact that he wants to make it into a WeChat like app where it's, you know, where you have everything um, in one place. So all of your transactions and all social interactions and whatever. Um, and then his also his main thing basically has been getting rid of bots. And how do you get rid of bots? You need to verify each user. Mm -hmm. And the whole focus on the blue check mark reducing any chance of of being anonymous um, on the website, uh, and you know, basically, if if the Twitter X app does, you know, if it does become an everything app like that, the potential for a Chinese social credit score system, you know, goes through the roof. You only have to you only have to do you know regulate one app now. Um, which you know is a potential liability, and I think in general, that's my that's my ultimate concern with Elon Musk is, you know, it is he he his persona and his branding is all really cool. He did way better than you know Bill Gates and um, and the rest of them. Bezos, he's definitely way cooler. You know, they Robert Downey Jr. did base the character of Iron Man off of him. You know, admittedly in interviews, so he is does have the benefit of having the most expensive movie uh, series of all time, have him be the savior at the end. Um, and I think it, it ultimately leads to a technocracy situation, which it, we, we talked about before with the grandparents, but I mean, it's no one, I don't think he would disagree. If you asked him about technocracy, I don't think he would say it's a, I don't think he would say he's opposed that he's tweeted multiple times. Like I said, that he is for it. Um, and that, he that wants type to of authoritarian system wait, 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 is, is my concern. 
Yeah, yeah that's, uh, I, I think we need to define it. our terms because honestly, I, to actually, maybe I, I should start there. I actually agree with your concern. Um, I've said this before, I, and I kind of said it, alluded to it earlier. Um, I think he, um, I, I'm hopeful that he will realize that the centralized approach um, is a time bomb. And I think Jack actually has made the case to him and to everybody uh, about how, you know, if you have a centralized point of control and failure, that that point is where they're going to uh, sort of focus to leverage. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping over time he starts to listen to Jack a little bit more. I know Jack failed us, but he also has 10 years of experience with this this whole mess, and he knows deeply how it ended up, how it ended up. Um, and has a, a, the things he's saying today are quite wise. Uh, so first of all, I agree with you that that is a risk. I think Elon's um, motivations are coming from a time in the 90s where he was thinking very differently and he hasn't updated that, so I'm, I'm optimistic. I will say that there is no banning of anonymity on the platform, not mentioned and not in practice. Uh, verification and anonymity have been used in a way that are separate, right? You are not anonymous to the platform, yes, but you are anonymous to everybody else. Um, and I think that's kind of where how he wants to slice it. But I, I do agree with the point about um, the whole everything app and whatever. I, I hope he realizes that if there is an everything app, it has to be distributed and un, un, uncensorable and uncontrollable, uh, not just because he's there, but because it is. Um, yeah, so uh, beyond that, I, I don't remember the last point where I, where I butted in, but well, I... If, I, I if, yeah. If I could interject a moment, because I think Drew does raise a really fair concern in in terms of if if Twitter does evolve to become uh, an everything app. I mean, what happens if you get banned off of Twitter? Then then you're alienated. <laughs> yeah, no, from, it's it's know, not it's, it's not a sustainable way to live. Like the the whole like people don't know this about me, but like I've I've you know I've put a significant chunk of my savings into um, a development team that is building a decentralized completely decentralized uh, sort of platform for social media. So like I, you know, I'm 100% on board, right? I'm not, you're not gonna, what Elon is doing for us, even us, the people who want a distributed future, is buying us time right now, right? Like before we couldn't even like discuss, at least now we have a forum to discuss how to move to the next thing. Um, I, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, those, I think those contradictions are so fundamental. This is why I'm happy Elon is in that position, because I think he is learning, and I think he will come to understand the, the fundamental point that, uh, because it's an engineering point, right? This, uh, Twitter and you know centralized systems in general, but Twitter in particular, is a single point of control and a single point of failure right now for the conversation. Right. And, and, and we can't be dependent on, like I said this last time when everybody started jumping at me, but like we can't be dependent on, you know, Elon's heart not stopping tomorrow. Right. Like um, this is, this is a ridiculous situation for humanity to be in. Um, and it's not, a, it's not a sustainable future. So uh, I, I, do, I am optimistic that he will, he will realize this. I, I, this is not a future I, I'm, I'm signing up for. And if he tries to do that, he'll find me on the other side of that. Uh, Alex, why do you think it is that we only have one Elon, while at least looking back at the 20th century, it could just be my bias, but looking back at the 18th, 19th, 20th century, in the history books, there's so many great figures we could look at that for their time did tremendous things. Now, when I try to think about it, it seems not, not that many people kind of come up, and I wonder why that is. Do you think it's just a bias living in today, not really seeing that, or is it a sign of something? 
I think it's you, you're 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 witnessing it as we speak. I, I think right, and this is a conjecture. Um, but see how many people are are coming at him just raw because because he has achieved things, right? Like uh, Whitney Webb. I, I heard her take, and I did a thread about it. If you want to read it, it was factually awful. Like not even not even the same universe as, as reality. But for the listeners, Alex, for the listener, Alex, could you summarize uh, Whitney Webb's uh, perspective quickly? Sure, sure. I mean, they, she did a podcast, and you can listen to it. Though, again, um, I have a thread you can look into that will inform you that uh, you know, we'll, with links to primary sources, that a lot of what is being said is not accurate. But um, the core take in that thread, at least the one I took, I took exception to, was something like, if he has achieved so much, he could not have done this with his morals intact. Right. He could not have done this without making peace with the system. He could not have done this without compromising himself and joining the blob. Right. And I've had conversations with friends of mine um, who find that a convincing argument. And to me, that means that we have criminalized success, not things you do specifics like the fact of success is now evidence against you as a human being. Right. If our civilization is in that situation, then yeah, you're gonna have an autistic dude that doesn't give a shit, right? Who eats glass for breakfast, um, who is just going around and 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 turning over industries because because he doesn't care. But um, that's not the situation we should be in as a as a society. Well, part of what I'm sort of talking about here is that is this is like if we want humanity to achieve more, and like Lev said, like that humans are capable of more, then we should start encouraging people to do things, like to 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 succeed, to create. You know, I'm an immigrant to America, but like that's kind of the whole American dream thing that's gone out of fashion right now. Um, of, you know, create, be entrepreneurial, invent stuff, right? Um, and I think that's gone out of fashion, and that's why we're not, we're not seeing that much of it anymore. It's also a very Promethean type of ethics, since you were talking about Greek uh, sure. philosophy. Uh, Prometheus is a very important figure to me personally upon finding out about what he did, you know, because allegedly Prometheus created humanity and Prometheus stole the fire of the gods and gave us to human beings. And in my interpretation, the fire of the gods is this ability to foresee, which is another word that I think like to foresee, which is connected to the name of Prometheus uh, or to the name of Techn. No, I think, yeah, to the name of Prometheus. And this idea that human beings are not being, we're becoming where we have the potential to assume all kinds of different forms and uh, various uh, shapes and sizes, as well as various ideas, and how if we foresee what happens in the future, we'd be able to change certain things, which I think we do on a daily basis since we started hunting woolly mammoths and uh, started building structures to house ourselves in. That is also a type of foreseeing, because if you know it's going to be rainy, if you know there's going to be some kind of a uh, uh, snowstorm, you're going to prepare for that. And again, going back to the Neuralink, yes, it may potentially give us certain abilities to have a sensitivity to certain things, to maybe predict certain things based on the data, but... Again, I'm not really sure how much we would be sacrificing as far as that Promethean ability to predict and construct and change our own reality beyond the confines of whatever it is the AI knows. Because at the end of the day, with the AI I've seen, let's say with artwork, for instance, it's only creating things based on the things that it was fed. And the question is, can it create things that are outside of it? And can we create things that are outside of it if we're going to be stuck inside of that whole maze? 
Yeah, again, I don't I don't want the AI to be an agent. I don't want to ask a question, what can it do? I, I want to ask the question of like, what can it help us do? What can it augment us to do? What can it empower us, amplify the, the you know, the spark of humanity to do? That's, that's, that's the that's the bet here. Like, you know, can we leverage it so that we become a better version of ourselves that, you know, the version of ourselves that we would perhaps want to be, rather than just having it uh, roll over us? I can give you this example, and then I would love to go to the uh, other guests over here. The example would be in uh, meditation. The frequencies of the brain that are uh, experienced during meditations goes all the way from alpha to beta to delta. But then when it gets really, really concentrated, it goes into gamma, which is a very high wavelength. And the gamma has also been shown to be correlated with what people refer to as the aha moment, as the moment of inspiration. And there I see something very interesting. I see people who are going into a state of absolute concentration, nothing to distract them, no screens. And it is in that state that they're actually able to achieve something very inspiring. And again, if there is something that's going to be, you're going to be strapped into it, it's going to be inside of your head. If there's going to be something that's constantly going to be working its code in the background, will getting to that moment of inspiration be as possible? I'd say it's already not as possible now with all these devices around us. You know, I have to go into a separate room or whatever, uh, you know, away from all of this stuff. But likewise, I wonder if it's going to be that much harder to get into that aha moment, gamma wave brain state. All right. Um, and a, a quick question I had for you guys. This is something I was just kind of I've pondered off and on and particularly started to again listening. You guys go back and forth is once AI talk, enough, enough AI technology um, is a, uh, has progressed enough wherein, uh, you know, people, uh, let's say, with middle class incomes and up can afford uh, enough assistance wherein they'll have the option uh, for essentially robots to be able to perform everyday uh, seemingly mundane tasks like doing the dishes, the laundry, things of this nature. Will this be a net overall? Can, do you guys think this will be a, a net win or, or a loss for humanity in terms of these are things that we complain about doing on a daily basis, most people anyway, but is there a certain value in performing these everyday simple tasks uh, psychologically for us that will be robbed of us in some way? Oh, you already know my answer. <laughs> yeah, I think there's something to that. Um, but I also think that the culture, like, I don't think about it linearly, right? I don't think just because we have been using, here's a, here's a fun, uh, fun little fact that I keep coming back to. You know, the, the invention of the vacuum cleaner was said to sort of free, you know, free the housewife from having to clean the house, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, therefore be able to, like, you know, people are going to be able to do a lot, you know, more with their time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know what happened instead? Um, the standard for what a clean house is went up. Right, and then people had to vacuum with the vacuum cleaner more. Right, like they they had to you know use the broom previously. Um, so I think things move in in ways that are counterintuitive sometimes, and we um, kind of change how we uh, you know adopt technology or what we use it for. We have a and our nature is to balance things and to um, you know supplement where we feel the gaps. So. You know, yes, in the short term, there's there can be a lot of things that can be really, really awful. Uh, but so long as humanity is empowered, right? This is why I'm, I'm worried about things that are sudden. Things that are come gradually enough, um, I think we can absorb them into our culture in ways that, you know, can make them 
um, net good for us, or at least positive for our survival. Like, you know, I've actually been thinking that every time we invent a new information technology, especially around the transmission of information, we enter a period of like, you know, world war and just chaos, right? It, it happened with the printing press. You got Martin Luther, you got a hundred years war, you got, you know, Protestantism, um, chaos, right? And then things settled down. Um, you got it with the radio that you got the Nazis and propaganda and, you know, all of those things. And they were terrible in the short run. Right. But over time, you know, technology is absorbed into society and we create norms, right? Like how many people have had their parents say like, yeah, this is true. I read it on the internet. And we're like, mom like seriously but that's you know the new generations we 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 have an understanding now that um you know there's different uh, sort of uh, generations and different um uh, gradations of evidence that we might see and we are a lot more skeptical about things we read on the internet just because somebody wrote something on a blog or whatever uh, or a substack like mine uh, doesn't make it true right you we, but we get a lot better at also chasing down sources etc cetera, etc cetera, which I don't think you would people would think that that would be how things would go, and yet you know, I, I think we're seeing uh, at least the early stages of our culture absorbing this new technology, and you know we're creating words like memes and influencer and um, you know mass formation and blah, blah blah blah. Like this is a vocabulary we're building to process what is happening, and I, and 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 I, I do think if we don't have a catastrophic event, that's what worries me. If we, if we don't have something sudden. I think we will find a way to absorb and um, sort of adapt the technology to our to our needs. Lev, what do you say? Well, as far as catastrophic events go, the next meteor may be due before we know it, which I view as the eternal etch-a-sketch board, if you will. You know, once things get too complicated, it just, uh, you know, uh, the great reset, as it were, happens. But I don't know. I mean, when it comes to having the ability to use this in a responsible manner, much like having somebody who has access to Libgen and downloads all these books and reads them on a device that's not going to harm their eyes. I'm talking about myself, by the way, because I use this uh, Kindle-like device, but it's this Chinese thing, 13-inch tablet called uh, B-O-O-X, I believe, Books, Max, something or other. And I use this uh, Bluetooth controller to flip the pages. The reason why I'm saying this is I was able to figure out a way to leverage technology in such a way that it's not going to hurt my eyes in the long run if I'm looking at an e-ink screen, while at the same time, I actually come up with a better way of reading books because I'm not bending down, you know, I'm not uh, making my spine worse, nor am I having to lift the book up with my hand for an eternity. I just have this pretty close to uh, where my eye line is, and I just flip the thing while drinking coffee, and it's all good in the hood. But I'm not sure how much of that we're going to experience as opposed to, let's say, with TikTok. I think TikTok is a great example because you have all these people who are starting to dance like robots and at a certain point how different would the robots be from those people who start acting like the robots the people who are not responsible yes they're going to have ubi but uh what would you say would be the solution to that? Because, frankly, education is not working out. Look at California. It pumps so much money into its education system, yet it still has, you know, uh, below average literacy rates, one of the worst in the entire uh, country. And uh, obviously there's a lot of issues there with, you know, the teachers union and so on and so forth. But if we're being super realistic about it, I'm not really seeing the majority of people being able to lift themselves up by their own bootstraps as far as using the technology we have 
for the advancement of uh, knowledge. But I could be wrong. I don't know. Like, where do you the, see that? No, part the, the going? majority of people never was right. Um, there is this person who um, I don't remember now. He's, I think, some professor in Harvard who asks his class, you know, if you were living in Nazi times, would you have joined uh, the party or would you have been part of the resistance? And raise your hand if you would have been in the resistance. And everybody raised their hands. And he's like, this is not possible. Right. Of course you wouldn't. You would be all members of the party. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. Um, so hashtag like, the resistance. Hashtag the resistance. Yes, which is not resisting very much to <laughs> anything of, of note. But um, the um, the point is, like, you know, 90 percent of humans are going to be, you know, normal people who are living normal lives and aren't like, you know, reinventing the wheel. Um, and that's OK, honestly. But I mean, there's there's even um, um I'm trying to remember this now. Um, this formulation, I think it's from Bostrom, that I find humorous but true, which is that we are the dumbest possible species that could develop civilization. And this is a self-evident statement because if we could have done it earlier, we would have, right? So you you develop civilization the, the moment you cross over the threshold of collective intelligence that you can do that. So by definition, <laughs> since we've done that fairly, fairly recently in evolutionary time, we are the dumbest species uh, that could develop civilization. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes and no. Couldn't do it. Yes and no. There's an argument to be said, according to the Scablands of the Upper uh, Americas, that there were coastal civilizations that got annihilated 11,000 years ago because of a giant global cataclysm. Multiple well, then they were the dumbest species, I guess. But well, no, 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 no. But this is this is important though because I talked to Graham Hancock in private, and he did say like he considers the the Earth to have been filled by human beings and civilizations on and on and on and on. That's his whole species of amnesia approach. Because looking at it that way, I know it's not an orthodox way of looking at uh, life, but it does kind of change how we see ourselves. Because there's this image that we see of humanity as going from like these, you know, dumb grugs into, you know, the smart, advanced human beings we are today. But like we talked about before, with what hunter-gatherers were dealing with and their brain capacity and so on, if we look at the, uh, what is that, the um, Cro-Magnons, for instance, the Cro-Magnon skull is no different, or I'd say it's even better than the regular human being today. So as far as what exactly we lost along the way, that is always a fascinating question to me. But if we look at society like that, that society exists, it grows, then it gets too smart for its own good, and power gets abused, and lo and behold, we all get annihilated in some nuclear blast, and that's been going on infinitely. That's been going on forever. If we take that view, right. does that change something about where you see humanity going if we take that view? No, that still means that they were all dumb enough to nuke themselves. I mean, you know, ultimately they didn't transcend, obviously, because otherwise we wouldn't be here. Um, but um, I, I think that, I don't know, it's, it's, yeah, like, the whole point is not, not to nuke ourselves, right? But, but I think fundamentally, instead of trying to do a, like some kind of like value judgment or, you know, uh, this better than that or whatever, I, I, I think... The, the the view I adopt, and I think it, to come back to our topic, I think that's the view Elon adopts as well, is okay. We're here now, right? Like what? Like we're not. I, I'm not for you know deleting 90% of humanity to go back to hunter gatherers, if that, right? Maybe 99%. Um, so th that's not acceptable to me. So you know we got to go from here forward, right? You can't turn back time again. Um, uh, at least not. I, I would not want to, even if I could, not willingly anyway. 
Um, so we got to go forward. And the question is, okay, well, how? What's available to us? What's possible, right? What's going to happen? What's going to get invented? Murphy's Law says, you know, if it's going to go wrong, if it can't go wrong, it will, right? So the, it's not a question of whether these things are if these things are possible, it's not a question of whether they will happen. It's a question of are we going to control them or are they going to control us? And I think this is why, you know, even to the question of transhumanism, and I, I know I'm sticking my, ne my neck out here and I'm taking a position that, you know, a lot of my, my uh, whatever, the people who, who I talk to on Twitter will, will sort of see as beyond the pale. I think we should be thinking about good transhumanism and bad transhumanism. We should be thinking about transhumanism that turns us into clients, right? Like into controlled entities or transhumanism that amplifies us, that, that gets out the, the beings that we would want to be if we, you know, uh, had the ability to learn any, everything we wanted and think through everything a lot faster and, um, you know, just actualize ourselves a lot more. I propose a truce where we get a group of kids together and we isolate them. Well, not completely isolate them, but we bring them somewhere around nature, somewhere where they're not going to be distracted by a lot of technological devices, still allow them the use of technology here and there, but more or less see what happens when you're raised in such an environment that you're not constantly looking at the screen and see if maybe there are certain things that they could do similar to Giordano, uh, if I'm saying his name right, Giordano Bruno, I believe his name was, who developed an entire system of memorization. And Aren't you these... describing a boomer, though? A boomer? <laughs> what, oh, no, no, no. Boomers grew up without, without technology. No, 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 no. But do, see, the boomers are doomed, though, uh, because the boomers, they're the most, they're, they're like the fly in the web of the... Um, uh, of the uh, social media. I mean, the Zoomers are too, like Zoomers, Boomers. I think Millennials, since we were kind of on the threshold, and I think you're a Millennial as well. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a threshold Gen Xer. All uh, right, that yeah. doesn't matter. You're not you guys, a rare... What is transhumanism? Because I know a lot of people have just a very reflexively negative impact into it, but couldn't something as something just like a pacemaker could be technically described as transhumanism? I mean, arguably, if, if the phone is, you know, if you can implant your phone in your head, it, that would qualify, right? Like, uh, so that's a good point you're making that, you know, we're doing things already today that are technically transhumanism. And not like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't forego, look, if I was dying, you said like, hey, here's the pacemaker. I wouldn't go that because I hate transhumanism, right? I'd be like, plug it in. <laughs> Okay, what if, what if though, you were dying and somebody wanted to put your brain into the uh, Neuralink, Internet thing, whatever, and uh, you would you do that? Like, Say that again? Would Sorry? you, if you were dying, and uh, hopefully that's, you know, like, <laughs> knock on wood, uh, and somebody offered you the chance to go into the Neuralink hive mind world, would you take that offer? For, for me, Neuralink depends on one thing and one thing alone. Is it going to be a control structure or is it going to be an enablement structure? If it's a control structure... Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. Let me go back in here. Space has ended. Oh, no. Hold on. Let me... Uh... What happened? Why did the space end? Can you hear me? Oh, unmute yourself on the uh, StreamYard thing. Alex? Alex, uh-oh, what's going on? See, this is the kind of stuff that we're going to deal with, so I don't think there will be other streams of this nature later on. Yes, apparently this is it. The stream is over, but I wanted to kind of continue with Alex. So let's see, Alex, the 
what do you call it? The Twitter space ended. Not sure why. So for all the people who are still uh, sticking with us here, I want to find out what exactly is going on. I'm not sure who Alex is talking with right now because, look, I'm looking at this thing and it says uh, Elon Musk Insider Insider, play recording. I don't think it's recording anymore. I don't know what's going on. He's talking. I don't know who he's talking to. I'm going to see what's going on. Maybe I'm the one with the problem. Maybe I'm the one who uh, is not having the right signal here. But let's see. Look, I'm going to go back in here. I'm going to scroll down. In fact, let me just go to one of their profiles, Steven Steele. Am I seeing it? No, I'm not seeing it. Yeah, so activate your uh, StreamYard on StreamYard. Go to StreamYard. Can you hear me? Hello. Oh, no. Well, look, Alex, uh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why the, why it ended, but I am still on StreamYard right now. So go in here right now. Go into StreamYard so I can talk to you. Wait, can I unmute you? Oh, maybe I can. Oh, okay, so you chose to mute yourself. I cannot unmute you, but... Can you hear me? Can you hear me, Alex? Alex? Well, this is what I'm dealing with right now, so we're going to figure this out. I, w I want Alex to get some uh, last words here, at least on BTR, at least for all of you uh, stranglers along who are watching this. So, yeah, Alex, let me write him a message real quick just to figure this out. And while I'm writing, yeah, see, I can do shout-outs while I'm writing the message, but thank you, Thomas Ramirez, for watching this. Really appreciate it. Let me go back in here and see what exactly is crackalacking. Uh, let's see what's going on. Blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I just want to talk through StreamYard if I can. I'm still on StreamYard. Uh, parting words for break the rules. Oh, he's gone now. All right, I'm going to see if there are any parting words for Bake the Rules. Maybe there will, maybe there won't be. Uh, but in general, I don't know what to say, fellas. As far as this uh, stream goes, it was an interesting experiment. Don't get me wrong, but there are so many crashes going on in this thing. It is extremely unstable. It is a good start. I hope it's going to improve over time. But again, a lot of these crashes, they don't even depend on whatever's going on with my phone. Like, these are things that I'm going to have to deal with regardless of whether I'm using an emulator or not. So, I don't know. It's interesting, but here we go. Here we go. I hear somebody in the thing. Here. Alex, brother, thank you so much for coming back in last minute. I just want to, um, I just want you to say some final stuff here for the audience that are watching this on Break the Rules. Cool. Yeah, no, I mean, this was fun. Um, unfortunately, we got cut off, but almost kind of poetically, maybe that's the way it should have ended. I don't know. That was fun. Oh, it was um, a lot of fun. But I definitely appreciate your views on a lot of these different things. And I think it was important that we had uh, Drew on as well to uh, talk about his side of it. Because these are not communities that usually end up meeting together. Like, usually there's much more of a, let's say, and I don't want to call Drew unprofessional, but like more of a 
more of a professional kind of community that's um, geared towards people who like technology, like talking about Neuralink, like talking about all the stuff, a lot of scientific-minded discussions. Then there are also things that go more into the realm of the woo, to put it that way. But at the same time, I would not necessarily discount that either, because if we look at, for example, people like um, Jack Parsons, for instance, of uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, this was somebody who was instrumental during World War II in the advance of rocket he was a disciple of Aleister Crowley. He engaged in all kinds of sex magic. So these things, I see them actually linked incredibly a lot. Like if we have Eli, if we have a Nikola Tesla who was able to visualize things much like some advanced meditator would. If we had somebody like, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, shame on me. Um, Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton practiced extensively alchemy, which from what I understand, did not necessarily have to do with uh, turning lead into gold. What it was was a way to transmute, let's say if you believe in this stuff, to transmute one's um, character into a higher spiritual realm. Like the entire idea of transcending where we are right now into some higher sphere. That's what alchemy was all about. And when we take a look at these great scientists, these historic figures, they cared about this stuff. And I don't think that they were dummies when it came to that either. You know, like these are people who thought long and hard about the way the world works. We could even look at, for example, Plato and uh, allegedly his mystery school initiation. So the point is, is that I think today be, it gets kind of embarrassing to talk about this stuff because all of a sudden we get accused of being tinfoil hatters and we have a lot of opinions that are not really well researched that end up being thrown into the mix, right? Like we have things that are absolutely unneeded to be discussed because they're not based on anything real and it all goes together. And that's kind of the issue that I'm trying to figure figure out how do we deal with this how do we actually get the diamond in the rough when it comes to things that may actually exist may actually be real that are substantial and that do have so much to say about who we are what this reality is all about and just like as a final thing i'm curious if you have any thoughts on that matter yeah so look i mean the this what we did today right which was uh, something i've been trying to do over twitter over the last few months is to build a bridge because through covid and through the whole dissident uh activity uh and i'm not going to get into too many details because i know we're in youtube um i've been um introduced to people who are very thoughtful and have much broader range of perspectives right had i not dug in and you know quote unquote done my own research uh, by the way, this is my Substack, do your own research at Substack.com, right? I, I would have been one of the other guys, right? I would have been the, you know, follow the science, bro, uh, kind of people. But I did dig in and I found things that were extremely concerning from a, you know, from a dry scientific perspective, to be completely honest with you. This is, this, I didn't, you know, consult with, um, you know, Felima or like, you know, Crawley to, to get there. Um, but, uh, you know. Th through that and through sort of sharing my perspective, I attracted uh, a group of people who, you know, I, I, I got to know who are a lot more uh, tuned in to very different ways of approaching reality and the world and their choices and all sorts of things. And for me, things are upside down right now, right? Like uh, things I used to trust, I'm, I'm having to reconfigure uh, my life. And, you know, I, I don't know what I think about half the things anyway. But I, I do feel that it is my obligation since positionally I'm in, the, in this spot where um, 
I'm in this crossroads to sort of help convey at least the the reasoning behind some things that they see and they perceive as part of this kind of technocratic sort of blob, right? That is out yeah. to get them. And I think there's a lot, you know, as their own opinions are often misrepresented and uh, trivialized and cartoonified, right? And turned into caricatures. Like Klaus um, Schwab, think, for instance, you know, that's a very I mean, cartoonish. Schwab, dude, like the guy, it's like he's attempt, he's doing it on purpose. I don't know how you get a Klaus Schwab. It is a mystery. But regardless, um, right, like you can cartoonify the other side, right, and, and say like, oh, yeah, well, you know, Elon is part of the World Economic Forum. And the truth is he wasn't. He was invited. They put mm. him on a list. They published his name. And he said no, but nobody knows that. Right. So, you know, there, there's a lot of nuance. If you think that your worldview is being misrepresented, just know that this happens to other worldviews. And if you would like your worldview to take to get a better uh, hearing from others, uh, do like be pretty sure that the worldviews of others that you may caricature are much less um, one dimensional, two dimensional than they sound. Right. So I for myself have resolved not to simply not take uh, third-hand accounts anymore for any community, right? When somebody tells me like, oh, have you heard about these people? And they're like, so like this and so like that. And I can't even believe that these people exist. I'm like, yeah, actually, not only can I not believe it, I actively don't believe you, right? Because people are people and they must have a reason for what they're doing. Nobody's inherently like waking up in the morning and thinking like, how can I murder millions of people? I don't know, maybe somebody is, but like, you know, broadly speaking, um, people have reasons for what they do and you have to understand how the story works in their own head. So I'm radically more open than I used to be about all sorts of different approaching the world. I think a lot of this stuff, by the way, is vocabulary, right? If I talk about magic, I sound like a crazy person, but if I talk about like systemic amplification of effects crossing systemic boundaries, mm-hmm. um, I sound like a scientist and I might be saying exactly the same thing. So I think this translation and this uh, cross-pollination is A, something that's being enabled on Twitter with this new sort of management, which is amazing, and B, something that is exciting and something we should we should engage in without judgment. Absolutely. And I look forward to engaging in much more conversations with you. And uh, I'm not sure about Twitter spaces. It may be a little bit too buggy right now in general for the people who are using it for it to be a continuous stream. As we saw before, I was not the host, but the thing ended up crashing. So it had no connection with the emulator. The reason for why it crashed, that's a native issue inside of Twitter spaces itself. What I'm going to do is I would love to participate in more of these Twitter spaces and I'll participate with you. But I would also love to have you as a guest on Break the Rules kind of as is, kind of like what's going on uh, right now. And uh, I think that you are an incredibly thoughtful uh, human being and you bring so much to the table. And I really appreciate what you're doing. Good to, good to chat, man. Thanks for, thanks for uh, setting, setting all this up. Thank you, Stephen. And with that, guys, thank you so much for watching. The people who are still here right now after all of that, thank you so much. Be sure to hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, click the bell. Patreon.com slash break the rules is where you go. Become a patron today. You're going to get a lot of wonderful things, including the magnets that my father, Alexander Poliakov, created. Here, you can actually see the screen now. You see these beautiful magnets? These are the magnets that my father created, and uh, they could be yours if you become a $20 patron.
So I guarantee you're going to love these magnets. And if you become a $50 patron, you are going to get custom magnets, whatever design you want. So with that being said, thank you guys so much for watching. Oh, where could we find you, by the way? Here, Alex, I was looking at Steven Steele's profile. Let me get to your right. profile over here on the screen so the people will see it. And uh, let us know where else uh, where else. Yeah, if find you it. look at my Twitter profile, um, my Twitter profile is what you see down here on the screen, Alexandros M. Um, I've linked my Substack, which is doyourownresearch.substack.com. Um, and I write at, at longer, longer length um, there, though it is, you know, a lot of my recent content is about a certain horse medicine. So I don't know. <laughs> well, I look I look forward to uh, uh, reading it and having everybody read it. And this is very important stuff. All right, guys, that's it. Thank you so much for watching. Mwah! Good